everybody. Welcome back to Table Talk, the show after the show. I'm your host, Swanee. And I'm JR. All right, so today we're going to be talking about Session Zero and why it's important for your game. So, JR, in a Session Zero, what do you think is the key thing that would be the most important? Mm, making sure everyone rolls at the table because players are a bunch of liars. <laughs> I know, I know I've seen the tendency of some people to show up to the table, you know, rolling their own stats and there's no negatives and everything's a plus three or more. Well, I think attendance I mean, is the most important thing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, also there's that. And then there's also getting to know the players themselves because there might be things that they're not comfortable with that you were thinking of them putting in the game. Pre-screening. Pre-screening, that'd be a good way to phrase it. Um, yeah, so pretty much I would say attendance, pre-screening, either the players that you are already having at the table or potential players. Uh, definitely establishing house roles. Uh, and by house roles, I also mean, you know, if one, if you're hosting in the game, uh, if you would allow certain things at the table, like devices or house rules being, okay, well, this is my style of gameplay. This is how I rule specific things. Uh, and then also a touchy subject, but things kind of wavering towards consent. Um, so pretty much to start off with, we can talk about attendance and attendance is in my opinion obviously the most important thing whether it is at an actual physical table or virtual because if you don't have the people attending the game you can't run the game yeah that's true you know so i feel like during a session zero you would all kind of or i mean even prior to but during a session zero you would set up your day that you're going to play right and you would, you know, work schedules out. I can't play on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but I can play Tuesdays and Thursdays. Then you find where everybody kind of fits in. Yeah, and then if somebody's like, well, I can't play Mondays and Wednesdays, but I can play Tuesdays and Fridays. So you know Tuesday at this point is a good game for everybody to play. Um, then, let's see, I mean, if nobody attends the session, you would kind of have to cancel. I mean, just plain and simple. Um, I have a rule for attendance that I kind of established during a session zero that if two or more players are missing, I cancel the game. Yeah, because it's it's really hard, especially if you have smaller smaller group. Like if you get if you have three out of four there. You might be able to pull it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I, I run for, you know, you and two other people, three other people, actually. I run for you and three other people and on our Wednesday games. And so if one person's missing, I'm not going to stop the game because the one person's missing. I might have to change the scenario and kind of alter it to better fit the three players versus the four. Or, you know, I can just NPC the fourth player and bring that player in when necessary. Yeah, and then that's where you you come in also to house rules where you explain that, hey, 
if you're missing a my NPC or character, and if they're not okay with that, you need to explain to them. Then, you know, if if you're not going to be here attendance wise, it could be a major issue. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but then again, I mean, there are some people who attendance wise, if certain amount of people can't make it, the game might continue, but they might run a side quest if it's possible. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, probably just play something else entirely. That comes up with that whole, it's it's great for a DM to have, you know, backup side quests that they might have in mind. You know, I'm not one to speak because I can, I do a lot of stuff by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. But I would be able to adapt to something like that and have a, come up with a side quest on the spot. But for a lot of DMs, I would highly suggest having one or two of those in the back so that if you have, I mean, you could even have half your party not show up and you could have these two players show up and you might be able to have like a little mini side quest just for them. Yeah. And it might not be wise to, you know, make it something that could level them up or anything, but Mm -hmm. they might get something out of it. They might get connections. They might get information about, um, the the main story. Yeah. I mean, it it could be anything. They could even walk away with an an item. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, well, kind of moving on to the next point would be pre-screening potential players. Um, and not just potential players, but your own players as well. They do have a, uh, a checklist. I don't use checklists. I kind of just throw it out there, I guess. I mean, I guess you could say it's, it's, it's a checklist, but... I kind of just tell my players, all right, there's a possibility that these certain topics might be discussed. Are you okay with it or are you not? Oh, that's like the the taboo topics kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so that would, you know, allow me to see what I can and can't do around my players. Then pre-screening, I also feel is good for finding out if the potential players are your style of player and if you are the style of DM that the player is looking for, because you could have inexperienced players who don't know what they're looking for, come into a session and go, Hey, this is a lot of talking, a lot of role play, and I'm here for combat. I want to play dark souls and you're not a dark souls combat kind of DM. It's kind of like Mufasa's player. Yeah. You know, one of the players is very heavy into combat. And so it's difficult for me because I'm a very role play heavy DM. And because of that, I have to find a way to way to work around um, my style and kind of add some things for him as well. So just imagine, you know, you, JR, um, you've only ever had one campaign, a mini campaign, if you will. I'm starting to feel bad about that. Well, I mean, you should, because I've been DMing for how many years now? Um, But yeah, uh, you have only had one campaign and you've only had three players. Mm Mm-hmm. You have a good mix of combat and role play 
because you know that some of us are more keen towards role play, some of us are more keen towards combat. But would you be able to handle a player who only wants combat? I could. I could I can handle a player that only wants combat. I think I'd actually have a harder time with a player that only wants story because me as a DM, I'd probably get bored. <laughs> I, I, and you know that I like to use the story to work towards combat. Mm-hmm. And also, sometimes I like using combat as part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you can com- combine the two sometimes to get by, especially if you have a player that is really not in it for the story. Sometimes you can put in clues in combat or around combat that help drive the story for the players that are less combat driven mm-hmm. um, it's a really hard balance to strike and um, I don't think I really did that bad uh, with a campaign that I ran I think I, I think I did have a really good balance between the two mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I think I would have an easier time with someone who just was there for the mechanical aspect of the game mm-hmm. because you don't have to come up with a I mean, your big bad, you could just make it something at the end of a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, your 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 dungeon, rinse and repeat that three times apparently, but your dungeon uh, has a story in it, even though you have a, a player that definitely is not there for the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we could definitely see that whenever we were trying to figure out how to get down that hole. <laughs> he was just... He didn't have the patience for it. He was like, I haven't killed anything. What was it? He hadn't killed anything in, in the whole beginning of the game. And so he was like, I'm just going to... I thought he was just throwing himself down the hole. And I'm glad you explained later that, you know, that you had, you know, had like a divine intervention moment for him. But, uh, no, I, I think it would be easier to run a campaign where, oh, you just want to hit stuff? Okay, I'll just keep throwing stuff at you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm really good with the mechanics of the game. I actually struggle a little bit more with the role-playing aspect and all that, but I enjoy it so much that I'm willing to work on it, especially for the players that I had. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, so, I mean, on top of, you know, you have the one player who's just here for combat, you have the players who are potentially the pick-me players. You know, the ones that are always you know I want to have the story be about me I want the best items I want you know I want the best items I want the best weapons I want the best armor I want plot armor I want everything under the sun but you know forget all the other players yeah those people I find them really toxic and they're they're very hard to deal with at the table I I know that it also depends on the character I'm playing, because sometimes I have a char- I have a character who is for specific items very much a loot goblin. Um, That's Joe Dari, uh, the Tabaxi Rogue, and he's addicted to knowledge. So if it's a book, it might find its way into his bag of holding, even if it was just you know meant to stay in the library. <laughs> I mean that's just who he is. Or, you know, the players might find stuff in a chest and they find a scroll and he's like, okay, more knowledge, I'm taking it. 
and it's not even a thing in the back of his mind. But that's that's something I put to the character. But you can tell when players are just greedy. Mm-hmm. And I really think that, you know, the whole teamwork makes the dream work, you know, kind of thing when it comes to the game, just the entirety of the game. There isn't really an adventure with just one person because D&D really is a... It's a collaborative effort. Yeah, it's a collaborative effort. It's a collaborative effort not only of storytelling with the DM, between the DM and the players, but it's also a collaborative gaming experience where the players should be working together to try to accomplish their goals. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the case of like an evil campaign, like you've been talking about, um, you would think that these evil characters, even if they're you know greedy and self-centered and stuff, they realize that they're going to have to work together to... They have a common goal. A com- yeah. yeah, a common goal. And you end up, you'll have that toxic player who is, his common goal is to make it all about him mm-hmm. and i do find that really annoying you know with asking me that question earlier with um would you be able to handle a combat heavy uh player like i don't think you have really trouble with any of it but which oh, one do you a lot of trouble with it with the combat heavy with everything actually really i thought you would be because i find you're really good at the storytelling and i think the only problem that you have that I've seen is mechanically you find a you find it challenging to balance combat encounters mm-hmm. because just just mechanics yeah because y- I don't math yeah <laughs> Let's, yeah that, that's... we're gonna be you know honest about it I don't math math and me were like distant cousins <laughs> yeah yeah no no that math is the redhead stepchild that you don't want to deal with yeah it is yeah um but no i mean for me like when it comes to combat campaign or combat scenarios i would say it's more i know what i want to put you guys up against i guess that comes into the whole story like i plan the story i plan each specific session i would say almost down to the letter like I am very, very detailed with it. I'm not brave enough to do that because I knew that my characters would always throw it. But out the, the thing window. is, I don't, I don't build the scenario to have a railroad. I build the surroundings. Oh, okay. So you're actually build, you're building multiple scenarios. Yeah, I build oh the room. God. I build a room, and then I build an alternate version of that room, and then an alternate of that room. That doesn't, and, that doesn't sound very much like a lazy DM. That sounds like an overworked DM. I, I am extremely overworked. <laughs> but no, like I would I will build so many different scenarios for this one possibility. Now, granted, there are some times where you guys catch me completely off guard. I will not I will not lie about that. You guys have done that on several occasions. But it's a possibility. Like it, it, it's a chance that that will happen. I can plan 20 scenarios and you guys will come up with the 21st. (laughs) And it's something that that could be so minute. I can plan for that. When it comes to combat, to me, it's so linear. I can't focus on that. I, I, I really can't focus on the possibility that... You know, combat is combat and that's it. 
I can't focus on, okay, well, big bad monster A punches. Big bad monster B punches. Is it, is it so, it's so boring to you? Combat is boring to me. I'm not, I'm not even going to lie. Combat know. is extremely boring to me. But I do it because I know that my players enjoy it. And, I mean, come on. How are you going to, you know, dungeon and dragon if you don't have the dragon, you know? Though then again, we literally just faced our first Yes, <laughs> you guys finally had a dungeon and a dragon in the same thing. And it was so nice. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, like, I mean, okay, like, you know, with that, that scenario, it was difficult because I had to have the zombies have their turns and then I had to have the dragon have their turn and the thing about combat that gets me is that I know I I know what you guys have as your spells your abilities and whatnot but I don't know what you're going to do with a story I set I set it out for you and no matter how you want to string it, there's only one answer. You can pick up the cup to open the door. The answer could have been the key, but I'll say it was the cup. Like there, there's, there's only one answer to the story, but I can alter it how I want. Oh, like in the case of if, players just straight up aren't getting it sometimes you can you can kind of just with the whole situation like when you know you guys were sitting in front of the hole it was like do i jump do i jump and you guys went up to the like to the floor above i wasn't jumping and it was like (laughs) what are we doing do can we do this can we do that you guys sat there for 45 minutes trying to figure out should i jump down this hole there was literally no other answer except do i jump down the hole that's that's a question. Oh, question, yeah. <laughs> but but yes, the only the answer, answer was, was yes. The you only jumped. answer was jump down the hole. Yeah. And you guys spent 40, a, a literal 45 minutes not you know character 45 minutes in game 45 minutes. Okay, but I I want I want in your honest opinion if you in real life I would have jumped if I knew there was no other way, I would have jumped. Well, you're crazy because I wouldn't know. <laughs> it ain't happening. <laughs> if I knew that the only way to get my answers was to go down that hole, I would have done it. I I feel like pre-screening players is extremely important. Just because, you know, this possible scenario. What if you gave a player, you wanted to see if they would be a good fit for your game by asking them that question. Your kids are in a hole or a loved one if they don't have kids, somebody that you cherish deeply is down this hole. You don't know the possible scenario, but you do know the only way to get them. And you know this, the only way to get them is to go down that hole. You don't know what's gonna happen if you leave. You don't know what's gonna happen if you jump, but you do know that you have to go down that hole. That is the only way to get them. That way, you can see what they're going to say. Yeah, and then you're going to have a player like me who's like, can I climb down the side of the wall? It doesn't matter. Can I? It's the point of you can see their thought process on it. And you can see as a DM if if they fit your game. That's true. 
because if somebody started co- trying to come up with solutions on the spot, I'd be like, solution. okay, that's the kind of player I want. Exactly. Instead of somebody going, well, like you, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna jump down the hole. Whatever. Like I'm just gonna leave. Like okay, cool. I mean that that's your opinion, but you're not coming up with a solution. You're just saying I'm gonna leave, and you know maybe try and figure out a solution outside of the problem now here, here's the thing if if it was in my game because you know i like I, I put a lot of realism in the game so if it was my game and someone's like i'm jumping down the hole and they don't have magic or something that can stop them from hitting the ground at 9.8 meters per second squared for however long they were falling they're gonna hit the ground at that speed and i am not one of those people who does the whole the max is 20 d6 damage I'm the, you're probably dead. Yeah, but we're not talking about damage. We're talking about screening potential players. Yes, but I'm, all, but I'm just trying to say, like, if, if you as a character, if I ask you that question, and you said that as your answer, I'm not going to lie. I would be like, okay, that's definitely a red flag because I'll put that scenario in the game and you jump off the thing. And I'm like, oh my God, there was a another door if she had just looked or she could have asked if the walls were climbable or tried to use a rope or something if you were just like a jump i'm like obviously i cannot give this person tactical decisions yeah but prior to like unless the very first scenario is here's a hole what do you do you're gonna understand leading up to that if i'm willing to take the jump or not you would put me in situations that go hey this is a life or death situation will you jump? What is your answer? If you had put me in another scenario that was like, hey, there's this hole that you have to stick your hand in. You might lose that hand. What are you going to do? But you need to give it blood. And I go, hmm, well, let me just cut my hand and give it blood. I'm not going to lie. It's always like, you know, you have to sacrifice blood. And it's like the, um, I think it was the mummy that had the one where he puts his hand in mm-hmm. and yeah bites his hand no let me tell you right now 100 percent, this is how it's gonna go with me i would be like okay i'm gonna take my hemp and rope out i'm gonna cut my hand i'm gonna soak it in my blood <laughs> and we'll put the shove the hemp and rope in because there ain't no way my hand's going in there like i've already tried to figure out ways around putting my i'm not putting my hand in some damn thing that's gonna cut my hand off but that's the thing. Well, that, well, people that have like scenario, the craziest scenarios that are like that scenario will allow you as a DM to understand the player's mindset. Okay, yeah, I could see that. It's it's one of those you know like the the moral like moral questions. You have a room full of people that are hiding, and you have a baby that's crying in there. If you let the baby cry. The people are going to get discovered and everybody's going to die or you can smother the baby and save everybody. It's a dark topic. Yes. But what would you do morally as your character, not as you, as your character? What would your character do? Oh my God. There's going to be that lawful, stupid character. that's like, hmm, I'll fight everyone to save the baby. But that's the thing. You will find out in that scenario that question if that player is good for you obviously don't base it off of that one because they could just be you know bsing or whatever just kind of playing around 
being dumb. There should be a couple questions. There should be, I would feel like, at least a good 10 questions. You know what I think one of the most important questions would be? If you check half of those negatively, you're not in the game. Yeah, you shouldn't be in the game. No, like one of my questions would be, you know, you come across these items, blah, 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 and you have multiple characters. How would you go about choosing who picks the items? Mm -hmm. Because you know there's going to be the one character that's like, there's going to be the min-maxer who's like, okay, well, what uh, what are the other character's stats? Well, you know, what what do they have? What are they? And I'm like, you don't know their stats. Well, you don't even know what stats are. Yeah, you don't know what stats are. And then you're going to have the character who's like, um, well, what's what's this item do? What's this item do? And then they're going to be like, well, I'm going to take this and this, and I'll give everything else to everyone else. And I'm like, or you have the thief who is like, you come across these items after the battle, and they're just like, well, I mean... Does anyone else, as soon as someone asks, did anyone else see me? Mm-hmm. You should know it's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. And I love also on that note of, we'll, we'll get around to stealing players and stuff like that. But I, I love that coming back to haunt them. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, kind of just going off of pre-screening potential players or your regular players in general, uh, house rules. Um, I feel like house rules are extremely important to establish one rules for the host, you know, playing in the host's home, uh, obviously like respecting boundaries, no smoking, no doing this, no doing that or whatever. And possibly setting up your rules for the game. Oh, like, you know, like. Like, you know, they're like, okay, well, drinking a potion costs an action, but I will allow it as a bonus action. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree so with that. So you lose your bonus action, but you get to drink a potion instead. Mm-hmm. You know, or the whole thing where, was it, I think it was like drawing a sword takes an action or something like that. I can't remember anymore. Yeah. I, I, think, it, I think it's drawing a sword takes an action, but, you know, it's the point of... At that point, you can kind of establish like, okay, well, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't see the point in that. Like me, if combat starts, my assumption is you see a bad guy, your swords already probably drawn. Yeah. Like you're gonna see somebody and you're gonna be like, oh nope, and pull out the sword and there you go. But some DMs don't allow that. You know, some DMs are like, no, you weren't, you didn't say you had your sword drawn. It also depends. It also depends on how, like you have a you have that character who's like I carry around my long swords strapped across my back. I'm like, yeah, I'd probably take an action to draw that sword. But well, if they have it on their hip, they they they've actually already shown that having like one of those like long swords or great swords, you cannot draw it from your back. Yeah, they have the, there's because a guy the sword's actually longer than your arm, so you yep. do not have the actual reach to draw it. If you do that, you're going to actually have to, like, pull the sword forward, like, over your shoulder and then, like, yeah, like almost like an axing motion. Yeah. But um, no, I, I would allow, I would allow if somebody was, I mean, even on the, if their weapon was closed, I mm-hmm. would think them drawing the weapon would be part of an attack action. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can make a, a swiping attack, like, mm-hmm. as you, like, literally drawing the blade. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, some people uh, might have the axe on, like, a ring holder. And all they do is literally just pull it out and go to town. Yeah. And I, I think that 
is logical to be able to do that and your attacks within the span of six seconds, which is, you know, what that round is. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, so establishing house rules, you know, they said like potion usage, whether you can use um, like a drawing action as an action or a free action. Uh, what else would there be? Um, I'm trying to think. Like, I really can't think of scenarios that you would have to just kind of alter, I guess, on the fly. I think one of the things would be, you know, if you allow what, what books you allow at the table would be one of the important ones. Yeah. You want to establish what, what materials are allowed because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't allow unearthed arcana. A Me. lot of people don't allow... Um, anything that's not outside the or not inside the PHB or a book that they have in their home because mm-hmm. they don't want people coming in and trying to sneak something past them. But with everything being online, you should be able to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, my, my number one thing is I don't allow any unearthed arcana unless I personally screened it. So I would, you know, the, the, Ranger. Mm-hmm. I would allow that just because I find that mechanically the PHB Ranger was broken. It's just not viable action economy wise, specifically with Beastmaster. Um, and some DMs might not allow it. And it's such a normal thing for DMs to allow the Unearthed Arcana Ranger that someone might be coming in with the idea of like, oh, I'll be a Ranger. And then they come and sit down at the table and be like, oh, I don't allow that at my table. Mm-hmm that's going to kill their character right off the bat because someone is not going to want to play a, I guess, a, a class that they feel is not usable to yeah. them. Um, so it's good to get it out of the way in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other things. Uh, really besides, you know, the, the taboo topics kind of thing. I can't think of anything that you would have to set the ground rules for. Mm-hmm. Um, besides, obviously, you know, food, drink, you've got attendance. Um, yeah, I can't, I really can't think of anything. Okay. Um, yeah, so devices at the table. I guess that kind of goes in with house rules as well. Um, some DMs allow devices at their tables just, just, uh, excuse me, just because you have players who solely use their phones or tablets, their laptops for their character sheets. You know, I, considering that we play online now, obviously having your character sheet online, like whatever, but you know, whenever we're here at the house and we're running a session, it is uh, sheets, sheets only. Mm-hmm. That is my rule. I do not want your phones out because your phones lead to distractions. When it's not your turn, people will go, oh, well, let me check Facebook real quick. Let me check TikTok. Let me check this. And then they're going to be so focused on it. And when it comes around to their turn, they're going to go, what happened? Yeah, that that does drive me insane. The one, there, Okay, there's... A couple rules that I personally have when it comes to that. Number one, I don't like phone dice rollers. I hate those. Because it's so easy for someone to just double tap until they get the roll they want. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say that I would be distrustful of 
my specific players, but especially new players and new players or veterans who don't know you or veterans who don't know you. And sometimes people have a tendency to, if they want, if they want a certain outcome, they're going to work as hard as they can to get that outcome. Mm -hmm. And if they, Oh, accidentally press the button twice and the higher role just suddenly appeared the second time or, oh my God, you know, I pressed it twice by accident, but the first one was really good. I would rather you just roll dice, just roll dice. It gets it all out of the way and nobody questions if you're playing the game, like, Mm -hmm. you know, or not playing the game, but if you're cheating. If you're cheating. Yeah, no, like there's no there's no nice way to put it. It's 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 cheating. Yeah, no, you built me a custom table. Mm-hmm. And the table we have it set for what six people plus the DM. Mm-hmm. Each section has its own little cubby. So you can roll your dice in there. That is one one of my other rules. If you are at my table, character sheet in paper. And physical dice. Mm-hmm. I don't check your dice, but if during the game you're constantly rolling higher than a 15, I'm taking your dice from you <laughs> and I'm going to give you my house dice. Yeah, because something's strange. Yeah, I mean, there's literally no way. Uh, the, then again, there there have been times where I've rolled really well. There over have and over been times, but give me the probability of you rolling. 15 plus the entire session. Mm. And not mods, just your base roll. 15 plus. The entire session? The entire session. If it's like a three, four hour session. God, it's 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 gotta be super, super low. Like So imagine, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of how many the average how many average D twenty rolls you would have in a night, and then you're having only the top 25% every single time. Yeah, it, it starts to get... It would get super fishy really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I have dice set away. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a dice goblin, but I have several sets of dice. So if any of my players, one, do not have dice, we have dice for them to use. And for me, you know, cheating at the table is like a, a two strikes you're out kind of. I don't even do a three strikes. Yeah. It's like if I catch you the first time, you, you might get a verbal warning, but the second time, yeah, we're done. Yeah, like, I, I, I have no problem. Because it's obvious you're not going to change change if you do it a second time. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to keep trying to figure out a sneakier way to do it. Yeah. And that also comes with the, the whole phones at the table. I don't mind if people have, because D&D Beyond and stuff like that. I don't mind if you have your character sheets on your phone or on a computer and you're using that. That's fine with me. But as I said, physical dice. And secondly, I don't want you looking up monster stats and stuff. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start doing that, I'm the kind of person that, okay, well now you've been warned the one time not to do it. That's that. And I personally think that's a cheating thing. You've been warned the one time not to do it. And also, the monster just got harder mm-hmm. because that's just the person I am. And I think your players, once they re- once you tell them that that's a house rule for you, if mm-hmm. I catch you trying to look up monsters and stuff like that, or you know, cheat with your phone, if you set that house rule that hey, if I catch someone doing that during an encounter, 
the monster gets harder, your players are going to be the ones to take care of that problem for you. Mm -hmm. They're not going to want that person doing that because that CR5 encounter that they have when they're level 5 is now a CR7. What the heck, man? That's getting close to a deadly encounter. Mm -hmm. And if he does it again, now you got CR10 unless, obviously, they kick him out (laughs) and he's forced to leave the table because people don't want... I, I don't find it fair to the other players for for players to try to do that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fair to the DM who has tried to balance these encounters to make them challenging but not so challenging that it feels impossible. I mean, I I do agree with you on that. The whole, you know, three strikes you're out. I mean, I you, you. I'm very limited. I wouldn't say limited. <laughs> I'm very selective about who I allow at my table just because I don't feel comfortable getting to know new people in, in this game. Because in my experience, a lot of people like to cheat mm-hmm. and I don't have a three strikes you're out kind of thing. I will tell you if you mess up and I will, I'll tell you right, right then and there, if you do it again, you're gone. Mm-hmm. I have no problems kicking people out and that that that's my house rule you know i will tell them like look i am a no-nonsense dm if you try to put a toe out of line you're out i i mean it, it might suck and it keeps my experiences with dnd limited to pretty much you and the other three but at least at that point i know like, I'm not going to get screwed over. Yeah. And I think your players get more screwed over with dice rolls and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But we are adding a new player on... Well, I'm going to say on. But when when I start the evil campaign, we're adding... Uh, in the campaign that we're in uh, on, on Saturdays, on every other Saturday, uh, that one is uh, streamed. The streamer is uh, joining our the evil campaign. Our evil campaign. She's a new player, though. That's, that's the thing. That's that's awesome. Yeah, like she's a new player, literally getting her feet wet with this other campaign. And I've known her for years. I know how she is as a person, and I feel comfortable playing with her. Most of the time, the people that I'm willing to play with are people that I know. There is, you know, exceptions to the rule though. Like if I play with somebody and I see how they are as a player in other people's campaigns, I won't allow them in my campaign. If they're a bad... Yeah, if they're a bad player or nuisance player, just because I know I can't handle that. And also, you know, if someone, if a player at my table, like me, I'm, I'm a little bit more open. So if a player at my table asks for someone to join and it's and the table's not crowded at that point because I don't think I could do more than six people. I think six would be my limit. Mm-hmm. I would try to start a campaign with about three or four and I would allow, you know, maybe one or two entrants into the campaign. Mm-hmm. But if someone asked me to bring someone in and they could vouch for them and I explained that they were vouching for them, 
and they still were wanting to push it forward, then yeah, I, I would allow that new player. Because if someone really feels that it it's worth basically putting their word on, mm-hmm. I, I think that... I think that the uh, at that time, I don't even know how to explain that being under the weather has really slowed my brain down, yeah, um, but no, like kind of going back to like the pre screening potential players. I mean, I guess you could say that's more under a house rule as well. I'm not really sure how you would define it, but, you know, a lot of the other campaigns that we have been in, we, we have had players that have asked for, you know, their friends or significant others to join the campaign. And I don't have an issue with you know, having these people join. But my thing is, if the player themselves is a nuisance in my game or in the game that I am in, I'm going to tell them no. And I know it sucks because, you know, they probably want their significant other in the game. But I don't, I, I don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we did it. We did have a, a situation like that, you know, where one of the players was like, hey, can my significant other join? I know the significant other. I went to school with this person. I'm trying to figure out who but this is. But I don't, I don't. I don't, I don't want to deal with it because I know how the player is. Just as a person? I know how he, I, I know how he is as a person. And I don't want to deal with, you know, the possibility because this new player is learning from their significant other. Mm-hmm. They're picking up their bad habits. Oh, that is true. That does happen. And if this person is a nuisance in the game that I'm running or playing in, I know for a fact that this person, this new player, is going to pick up those habits. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to have two problem players. But you're also the kind of person that if someone's enough of a nuisance... I'll kick them out. You'll either A, kick them out, or once that campaign ends, they're not coming back to the table. Well, no, because... Um, what was it? The... I think... I think I kicked one of the players out in one of the campaigns. Um, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I think I kicked them out of one of the campaigns just because I I, I didn't vibe with, with with the player. Like, you know, we're friends, but I just didn't vibe with them as, you know, player DM just because of their play style. Had I pre-screened them, you would have known that from the beginning. I would have known this from the beginning. I wouldn't have had an issue. But sometimes it's difficult to pre-screen because that person might try to say whatever they have to to get into the game. 
Yeah, that is true. And then once they're in the game, they'll get so far in and then start showing the signs. Yeah, then they'll because start they, they they number one plot armor kind of, and number two they're already they've already established themselves at the table. Mm-hmm. And they begin to feel invincible and mm-hmm. comfortable. Yeah. And then it's and like, I don't mind. A- am it. I willing to lose this character because the player is a nuisance? For me, yes. I'm, I'm totally fine with and that. I, and I, yeah, I have a hard time. You, you, you've, you have issues disappointing people. Yeah. I do not have that issue. So if I don't like you as a player, then I will, I'll tell you, like, look, I'm cool with you as a friend, but I don't want you at my table because I know how you are. I know your mannerisms. I don't like it, mm-hmm. but I'm totally down for going out to, you know, McDonald's with you next week. And it just takes, and that also kind of helps tell someone's a mature adult or not. Yeah, because, because if they get mad. If they get mad about it, then... Obviously, if you're, especially if you were going to have a campaign with what you thought were going to be a bunch of adults, if they show that that tendency, not even in the game, in real life, there's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Because in the game, people get to act out somewhat their fantasies. Yeah. And someone might already have issues that they hold in mm-hmm. that they're hiding from everyone else, but then they try to play out. Yeah. Kind of like um like if if you have a a character that is subconsciously racist, mm-hmm. they might try to, you know, play that out as actual racism. Yeah. in a character. And sometimes p- people do pick a character that they make that you, you can tell that they're making that character racist to have like kind of a redemption arc. Mhm. But then there can also be those players that you know they're just you you can tell you're you can in real life insight check these people oh yeah and tell that okay we're gonna have a problem here because there's some things I just am not gonna allow at the table mm-hmm. well that was actually a good segue into the next topic which is consent and taboo topics oh um. So for that, you know, I would say things like racism or prejudice, mm-hmm. uh, violence, gore, horror, you know, the macabre, torture, torture and murder, uh, politics, definitely a hot topic, and sex or sexual assault, romance. All of that would have to be discussed during your session zero. Because you don't know where your players stand on this. And just imagine being that DM where you set up a scenario and then your players, you know, freak out over it. You don't want that. You don't want to... Hi, Moonshine. Sorry, it's our cat. Yeah. yeah, You don't want to deal with, you know, the possibility of bringing up a possible sexual scenario could be consensual between the characters but there might be a player who doesn't like that for whatever reason it's their own it's not you know for us to know but they might not enjoy this and because of that 
you know, they might feel uncomfortable during the session and they might, um, you know, at the end of the session, kind of like they, I mean, hopefully in my eye, I hope that the player would talk to the DM about it or, um, I don't know, find a way to bring up the topic uh, in a good way instead of lashing out. But there's a possibility that they could not handle the situation uh, positively, I guess, or constructively. Kind of like, you know, childhood trauma is a thing that I don't deal with very well. You know, you don't deal with childhood trauma and... You know that I touch on a lot of taboo subjects in my games. Should have been a psychology major. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I touch on a lot of taboo topics. I don't have a problem with it. But I know that there are going to be players who do. And considering that I know your triggers... Considering that I know your triggers, I'm not going to, you know, put you in a situation where, you know, I'm overtly describing a traumatic scenario. Mm -hmm. Like I might mention, you know, oh yeah, you walk in and you see that this little kid has like a bruise on his arm and, you know, the parent is putting their hand on their shoulder a specific way. You can already kind of assume that there's something bad happening. It's beat down top. (laughs) But at that point, you know, that's about as far as I'm willing to go. If you as a player decide to ask about it, I will try to give you a child's, I guess a child's viewpoint on it. Mm -hmm. How a child would attempt to describe you know what was happening to them they might be descriptive they might not but you know most children aren't going to be like oh yeah this person did this 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 and this they're like oh sometimes they get mad and they hit me yeah like you know sometimes i i get hit for you know for for doing something bad and that right there you know it's a good way to bring up the topic without actually going into it yeah that, that comes down to that, that thing that you talked about with consent. It's like uh, you're either okay with it or you'll have a, a soft no and a hard no. Yeah, pretty much uh, red, yellow, and green. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for consent in general. We'll, we'll just put it that way. It's for consent and red yellow and green red is a hard no yellow is slow down green means good or go just literally think of it it, it's a traffic light well there's a problem if you're colorblind you're sol i was gonna say if you look at people today (laughs) that can't drive not a player (laughs) dm i know you're listening okay (laughs) Yes, I am calling you out. You are colorblind. (laughs) 
go ahead and message me later. It's fine. Um, but no, so at that point, you know, if you as a DM feel that it's necessary to have a checklist, then that's fine. You can have a checklist and there's actually a great section. Uh, I wouldn't say section, a great website uh, called Monty Cook. Uh, yeah, MontyCook.com. I left my notes upstairs. But you, they you can't have, remember how to spell it. No, it's M-O-N-T Cook, C-O-O-K. Um, I don't know if it's Monty Cook Games or just Monty Cook. But regardless, Monty Cook and then you could put in consent in games. It's a free PDF. We are not sponsored by them, but I was just kind of looking it up and I found this and it is a great example. Obviously you can add to it, but it kind of covers, I would say everything that could possibly be mentioned in a campaign. And you looked it over, you know, and you can see, and it had red, yellow, and green. And it had so many different topics, you know, child abuse, romance, sex. I just realized, did it have poop on there? Because we have that one player that if you mention it, <laughs> he will lose his mind. He doesn't lose his mind. You're being dramatic. He just, he starts gagging. He starts, that's, like, that's no. bad. He's like, no, no, I don't want to hear this. No, no, no. <laughs> and I want to do I mean, a whole sewer scene with him. <laughs> Crawling through the sewer. Just, well, just. That, that's where you guys are right now and you know oh, it was yes. kind of like you guys asked like oh what's in here and i'm like oh there's sewage i don't have to say as soon as oh, you said that, that mountains my... of this and you smell it i just say there's sewage and it stinks and he automatically was like oh nope yep. can't nope yep and, and after that the mic got really quiet yeah <laughs> he didn't want to know anything else but you see at that point like i don't i don't need to get into full detail about something like i know his triggers. And that was just one of them. That that's something that he's uncomfortable with. I'm I don't need to go into full detail about it to affect him. You know, but he knows that I do this in jest and he's okay with it. Yeah. And you have to kind of wonder in your character your your players. Yeah, you need to know you need to know your players or at least have this checklist and understand what is or isn't allowed. Mm. The thing is about consent, it can change at any point in time. And people need to understand this. And they don't. They do not understand that if I'm okay with you mentioning romance today, that I'm going to be okay with it tomorrow. And... I might not be okay with it next session, but you don't know that. And so like, okay, there were sessions that I've been in as a player where, you know, romance had been mentioned. I don't mind romance. I think romance is adorable. But then there's DMs who, I guess you could say, like to talk about, you know, how voluptuous a woman is and they're very descriptive about women in a sexual manner that makes me uncomfortable because nine times out of ten i'm the only female in this group Mm -hmm. i don't play in games that you're not in i don't feel comfortable not being in a game unless i know the people or unless i know another person in this session 
I don't feel comfortable being in a game that you're not in. That's kind of sad. It's it, it's understandable. You're my safety net. You know, if I don't feel comfortable, you know, I might not want to tell the DM. And that happens a lot. It happens a lot with a lot of players. You might not feel comfortable talking to the DM about the situation. And you might have a player who you can kind of talk to. And this player can notify the DM them, you know, themselves like, hey, just so you know, this player is uncomfortable with, you know, you mentioning this, this, and this. And if the DM respects you as a player and as a person, they might tone it down or stop entirely. Mm-hmm. But then again, you might have some who just don't care. And if you find out that there's a DM who doesn't care about your comfort, leave. Yeah. And, and there, if, there could be something that a DM is just unwilling to compromise on. Like, I, I don't know if I could... I'm pretty empathetic when it comes to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because I obviously have my own issues. Yeah. But there might be that DM who's just kind of... I don't want to say callous, but uncaring about your issues and he's gonna do what he wants to do or she wants to do Mm -hmm. and in their mind you're at their table so you're just gonna have to deal with it Mm -hmm. and trying to sit through it and force yourself through something that makes you uncomfortable repetitively even if you enjoy the other things is just gonna tarnish the experience for you Mm mm-hmm and it's not worth staying there. I, I I hate saying it because it's hard to for some people to find other games, but sometimes it's just best to look for another game. Mm-hmm. And you can go on Facebook. There's groups where people are literally looking for new players or looking for DMs, and you can find someone else who might fit you better. Mm-hmm. But I definitely would suggest that people definitely leave. Because it's not worth sitting around and and dealing with that. Again, it's one of those like touchy subjects. Just like you said, it's very difficult for people to find other games to join. Mm-hmm. So they kind of just go, well, this is my only option. I should just deal with it. But that's not a mentality that you need to have. And like we were kind of mentioning in, uh, I think it was in our character death episode. You feel limited in your options and you feel like you have to stay and because of that it's not a good mentality to have because as a person you need to apply that as well you know this is kind of going into like therapy session with table talk or whatever (laughs) but the consent for games applies to real life as well because as you stated you're kind of living your fantasy You might be an extremely shy person and you want to try and be an extrovert and you're living in this fantasy world. The possibility of there being real life issues exponentially high because this is still a world, Mm -hmm. but you might not think that, okay, well this, you know, I dealt with childhood trauma. There's not going to be childhood trauma in this game. And then there is. Mm-hmm. would you sit there and deal with this or would you you know 
I hate to say it like this way, but man up and leave. Or maybe you might use it because like for me, I used it as a way to get through social anxiety and stuff due to PTSD Mm -hmm. and using the game as almost a therapy tool to get through issues that you might have in the real world can also be advantageous. Well, I don't recommend using D&D as a therapy <laughs> yeah, thing I know. just because you also see a therapist. Yeah, I know. So there's a huge difference. You, oh, yeah. No, I, have, we're definitely not. You have the medical assistance provided, and now you have another an, another outlet, but you have your your knowledge from your actual sessions. Yeah, no, I would not say that it is in any way, shape, or form a replacement Mm -hmm. for therapy, but I really 100% believe that it helped me, especially with um, social anxiety issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, because you have to consider, you know, you were a shut-in, and I tried to get you to be friends with my friends because you only had two friends that you saw once every other month. And I was like, hey, I have a bunch of friends that I know you'll get along with. And you didn't want to. Yeah, because I don't, you know, PTSD makes you basically not trust anyone. Yeah, you know, so you you were hesitant to make friends. And one of the people, which is our DM on Tuesday, he's my best friend. And for years, I tried to get you to be friends with him. I thought Molly was your best friend. No, she's a cat. But yeah, so I tried to get you to be friends with this guy and you were hesitant. You did not want to for years. And then finally, you know, getting you into D&D and having you slowly branch out, you know, by us going to the game shop and, you know, we met one of the DMs there, you know, we became good friends with him. You got to meet a bunch of people, especially because at our table, we had a lot of rota- rotating players. Oh, man. Like, I would say almost every other session, we had a new player. Well, there Before th- the end. But well, the end, we kind of, like, had our little group. We had, like, our, like, six. And yeah. that was it. I, 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 it. Like, in the beginning, I remember it was, like, three or four main players otherwise. And then some people went off to work. And some people went off to this. And then, I, let me tell you, the unsung heroes of the D&D world... Are the DMs who are there at the Adventure League, running Adventure League, or the DMs who are um, at the game shop, the local game shop on the D&D night, and they have an open table. Mm -hmm. Those are truly the unsung heroes of D&D. Yes. Because... I I love you guys so much. (laughs) For for real. I cannot believe the stuff that they they put up with, the, the amount of... You the, know, the constant rotation of players, of and, players and they have to figure out how to put people in on the spot. And there's a reason that tropes happen. Yep. But I don't, in no way, shape, or form, would I ever blame a DM at a shop because they literally, I, I, I think every single week he had a new player that he had to introduce. Mm-hmm. And every two to three weeks, we would lose a player. And a large portion of the time the player that got introduced that week would was either, gone the next week was gone the next week and i just found it absolutely astonishing number one the amount of impromptu 
just the person appearing, like just being able to come up with a story on the spot for, oh, this is where, this is why they pop up. This mm-hmm. is why they're with your group. And just the ability to do that, I find that just mind-bogglingly amazing. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, like go, going back to your, you know, I would say consent, your trauma, whatever, your therapy time. <laughs> um, you and our DM are now best friends. Yeah. I mean, I would say you're probably more his best friend now than I am. <laughs> Just because, sad. like, I've known him longer, but the two of you click. We're, we're, we're watch list buddies. Yes, you guys are. <laughs> but no, I mean, you guys have literally, like, I would say, like, bonded at the hip. Like, you guys call each other all the time. You guys are texting each other all the time. And this wouldn't happen if you didn't get introduced to D&D. Yeah, yeah. That's like, 100% true. Like, I... I honestly believe that if you had never decided to finally play the game, you would have never met him. And, you know, I mean, come on. He's, he's like one of your best friends now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, obviously, as I said, consent in games is highly important. Uh, it is a staple, not just in the game, but in your life as well. If you are, if you are willing to say no, in the game, you should be able to say no in real life. And if you are willing to say no in real life, you should be able to say no in the game. Mm-hmm. That that I definitely agree with. Just because, again, why why would I deal with it in the real life? Like, it, why would I deal with it in the game if I don't want to deal with it in real life? And that definitely makes it really important that session zero. Yeah. That that's one of the things right there that that makes me a really strong believer in session zero mm-hmm. because number one. You can have a session zero and a session zero point five. Mm-hmm. Like session zero could literally just be you guys getting to really know each other because because the DM commonly brings groups of players together that were not originally friends. Yeah, and they're all coming to this table for the first time. It's it's good to be introduced to these people, get to know each other, get to know each other's personality types. What kind of character are they thinking of playing? What kind of game are they looking for? Just getting to know all that stuff and then adding on top of it, figuring out the cans and cannots before Mm -hmm. you even start the game. Because there really might be something that affects that individual that that is a hard no that you might think is just fine. Mm -hmm. And if the DM doesn't know, they're just going to continue with it. And if the players don't know, they might do something like... Like characters that I that I've played, like um, Valentus, which was the cannibal. No. Oh no no no, he wasn't the cannibal. That was Van. That was yeah, that was Vaughn. <laughs> no, uh, Valentus was kind of a Punisher esque character, mm-hmm. and was completely okay with torture. And that's funny because every time my character tried to torture somebody, you always said no. Yeah, because because the people you try to torture, he didn't think were worthy of punishment. You got to remember, he had a very strict code. And you you would be willing to be like, oh, I think this person might have stolen my wallet. And no proof, no nothing. And you would have been like, oh, well, because it was Althea, right? Yeah. Oh, Althea 100% would have showed a fireball down someone's throat. This is true. But <laughs> if someone steals a wallet, I'm going to ask them a question, you know, maybe intimidate them or something like that. But if someone's like, I don't know, abducting people. 
Valentus at that point is like, you've come into my realm. That's the thing with the Punisher. You've come into my realm mm -hmm. of basically you're on my level now. And once you've reached my level, the kid gloves are off. Yeah. And I was willing to go through torture. And I still remember to this day describing what I was doing to get information out of someone and looking over and seeing the DM and two other players looking at me like, are we sure we want to be at the table with this guy? And it was me giggling maniacally. And you were like, giggling. Yes, I, do this. Yes. And, and, it was, and it was just literally, you know, life experience on my end and knowledge being put into the character and, you know, doing these horrible things. And these are college kids and stuff that haven't really seen uh, no, some horrible no, things. No, some of them were high school kids. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and then now, now thinking, yeah, some of them were high school kids. And Maybe I'm, we should have kept it a little PG. A more PG-13, but yeah, no. Uh, I mean, yeah, looking at back at it now, you know, especially because I was a new player, that was my first yeah. game. Like your first actual character. Well, yeah, your first actual game outside of that 16-hour session we had. The 16-hour session? What was that? That was uh, the very first game that uh, you and the two other players that are in our Wednesday game now. Remember when we started playing at like 7 o'clock that night? We didn't stop till like 7 or is whatever that, is in the that morning. The, is that the Dragon Baby The one? Dragon one, yeah. Oh, no. That was like 16 hours. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the... Because I remember I... I I just literally took Valentus and reskinned him to put yeah, in that. Yeah, that, that was that, that was what you did. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, that's another thing is that it sucks when you're in environments like the game shop and stuff because you can't constantly do that thing uh, where you're asking for consent and stuff at the table. Mm -hmm. But if you had that paper, oh yeah, no, if you had that paper, you can just kind of pass it around and be like, hey. I know you're going to be in the game. I don't know how long. Can you just check this off just so I know what, what I can or can't do? And then and that's be, literally, I mean, and it was what, like 50 things on there? Yeah. And, and it gives it gives the DM, okay, you know. Gives you a baseline to kind of go off of. And then and then I think the top of the sheet said something along the lines Is of. Is it like a, what if this were a movie. What would it be what, rated? What would the rating be? And, you know, for me, I'm just going to put NC-17 Yeah, NC-17 because... And there's literally almost nothing you can't do, but then people would be scrolling down and then they would see the whole child thing, you know, child abuse or something like mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, I, that's, a, that's a soft no. Because if you go too far into it, my character is probably just going to be like, all right, so everyone who is responsible for this is dying. Like, end of discussion. It's no longer the, the character anymore. It's the player. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I can't even remember what we were talking about anymore. Um, we were talking about consent. Oh. <laughs> I do um, not yeah. consent to this recording. Remember that, everyone. No, obviously you do consent. Uh, no, so, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, we have things like racism and prejudice. Um, this is a hot topic that I have been noticing in the community, uh, where people are kind of upset over, I think it was Tasha's. I don't, I don't know if they actually implemented it or not, but I remember that there was the talk of making the drow not evil, even though that's kind of their stick. They literally pray to an evil god yeah but you know some people might not be evil like okay you know case in point Drizzt. yeah he's raised in this situation but he himself is good he himself is a good person you are a product of your environment nobody is born evil 
Unless you were born evil. But unless you were born evil. Unless you're born evil. Like unless there's like a situation where you're actually just born see, evil. I, okay, okay. I, I think I see where they're going with this. So they're trying to argue that race itself is not what causes them to be evil. I'm not sure. I didn't really look into it. I didn't really care. I don't care about alignment. Your alignment is it's it's on a sliding scale. Just because I'm gonna play it how I want to play it, I want my drow to be evil. Well, if you want a player, like okay, if you're a player and you're like, hey, I have a drow, my drow's not evil. Cool, whatever. I don't care. It's like okay, when we were talking about alignment. So if you want to be evil, you know, I'll I'll allow it within limits, like. You know, obviously you can't just be chaotic evil and try to be a murder hobo in my campaign because it's going to end badly for you. But Actions have consequences. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you're like, oh, hey, you know, I want to be a drow who is a chaotic neutral, chaotic good character. Cool, whatever. I don't really care. Just play it, the character play, how you want. Play the character how you feel they would react in a situation. Uh, but really getting back to the, I, I think I understand where, where people are getting frustrated with it. They're saying they're annoyed by the idea that the race itself is automatically described as evil. I am of the mindset that it's not the race itself that's described as evil. It's the society that they have is evil. Because the society that they have is pretty evil if you think about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they allow... They're the matriarchy. The, no, the ma- not, not so much the matriarchy thing. It, it's the... Why would that be evil? It's, it's not that the matriarchy is evil. It's that the women have power over the men. And the women, you know, abuse the men in the drow society. I mean, yeah. The there's... men are lesser than them. You know, they're pretty much just used for breeding and pretty much to be like foot soldiers. And they don't even need them because the women are the soldiers anyway. Yeah, and then what I was thinking of is also that they enslave other races, mm-hmm. they sacrifice other races, they turn other people into abominations. Pretty much for being what they don't like. Yeah, if but, you did, if you if you kind of you know, like if you try to be a good writer or if you try to be a good drow, and they don't like that, and yeah, you go against Loth's teachings, you, she'll turn you into a driver. You're you're a driver, and then that's it. And then orcs. People would want to, you know, they might want to argue that orcs aren't evil. If you look at the god that created orcs or that they worship, Orcus, Orcus is evil. Like, there is no question he is an evil deity. Mm -hmm. Their society is based around the idea that kind of might equals right. Mm -hmm. And basically all praise Orcus. And they're willing to rape, kill, do whatever in praise of Orcus. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, there might be good bands of orcs. There might be orcs like Drizzt who are good. But the society as a whole... Huh? Drow. Drow, sorry. (laughs) But the society as a whole is... They're painted in a light. They're painted in a dark light because on the moral scale of that world, on the moral scale of that world, those two races do what society in general thinks is evil things Mm -hmm. but that is their society but i agree as a race you know any person is not born evil Mm -hmm. you're not just evil from birth it's it's a societal thing Mm -hmm. yeah you know so the whole racism prejudice thing are you willing to like you know for consent are you okay with that 
in your sessions. And at that point, you know, you might have a player who has to deal with racism like me. I'm a person of color. And it's difficult for me because, you know, living in the world that I live in, we have a lot of racists out here. Yeah, people are still racist to this day. And I'm okay with racism in games because it's a real life situation. You know, it's something that I'm accustomed to. I wouldn't say it's a good thing, but to me, it adds depth to the storyline if it's if it's important to it. Now, just adding racism just to add racism, I mean, if there's no reason for it, I don't see the point. It's kind of like the whole angst between elves and dwarves. Yeah, like if there's no reason behind it, then why are you angry? But then again, if you think about it, racism, there's no real reason behind it. Why are you angry? Yeah, I mean, there isn't. But it's like, unless there's an actual reason, you know, like, okay, the elves and the dwarves are prejudiced against one another or whatever. They hate each other because, you know, there was a war a thousand years ago because of X, Y, and Z. And so they were just raised, the children from that point on were just raised into this mindset. You know, you were raised and taught, okay, well, you know, the dwarves did this, the dwarves did that, blah, 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 blah. And all you're hearing is that, you know, the elves were good and that the dwarves are bad. But then on the dwarf side, you're hearing that the dwarves are good and that the elves are bad. And so when a dwarf and an elf meet, they're going to have animosity towards one another. And I don't mind that in a game because it builds you know, it builds a storyline between the, the characters themselves. Uh, all, all good stories, I think, are based around conflict. Yeah, you know, like uh, in our Tuesday campaign, my character and another character in the game, we're tieflings. We aren't, there aren't many of us in this, in this world. There are, don't get me wrong, there are tieflings, but there are not many and you guys aren't looked on very favorably. We're not. You know, considering our backstories, both of us have had an extremely difficult upbringing. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable because of the racism prevalent in this world. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're walking in and every session our characters are getting attacked. But if it happens, we are aware as players that there is racism in this world. And we have consented to it. We have consented to having our characters be treated in this manner because we specifically chose this race. Like, why would you choose a race that you know people are gonna hate? If you know that in this scenario, like if in a session zero and I tell you, hey, just so you know, you can play any race that you want, but Tabaxis and Leonin are the most hated races. And so you play a tabaxi, walking into the game knowing that you're one of the most hated races. And, and you know, I also think that it being something you deal with in real life, being able to do something about it in the game, I think is beneficial. Like, I, 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 I personally would like to be able to, if I deal with something horrible in real life, I would personally want to be able to change it in the game like if I, if I could do something about it I would love to be able to do that mm-hmm. like you know speaking on the racism aspect 
because what I've had to deal with with my family, mm-hmm. marrying you, and I would love to have a situation in one of the games. I just realized you're the DM that I normally play with, so I'm giving you ideas. <laughs> but I would love to have a situation where it's like two lovers and their family don't get along with the Montague. What is that? The Capulet and the Montagues. Cap- Capulet and Montague. It, it, like, they don't get along. Mm-hmm. And it might be because, you know, of racism issues, or it might be because of class issues or something like that. And having those two, being able to get those two to come together, man, this makes me really sound like overly gushy and romantic well okay i mean just put it this way tariel and uh whatever his name is the dwarf from the hobbit <laughs> i forgot what his name was the cute one F- philly and killy i don't i don't know which one it was i don't but it's the, it's the cute one the one with the black hair that she fell in love with obviously she's an elf and he's a dwarf it ain't working out it just isn't she was pretty much intended to be legolas's now, granted, she's not in the books, so whatever, but she was intended to be Legolas's and they kind of had this weird betrothed relationship, I guess you can say. What is that? Uh, it, almost like an arranged marriage? Yeah, but you know, it wasn't arranged, I guess. It was just more like he knew that they were going to be together. Mm-hmm. And... She kind of just accepted her lot in life. Until she fell in love. Until she fell in love with the dwarf. I feel really bad for her. Is it Borm? No. And there was... I I was going to say Boromir. I was like, that is definitely wrong. wrong (laughs) character. Wrong, wrong. He is human. (laughs) He is human. That is... I don't even think it's the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Yeah. Whoops. No. Yeah, no. As I said, my brain is not functioning correctly right now. (laughs) Yeah, but no. So, you know, there was the racism that was prevalent in The Hobbit. And, you know, The Hobbit Desolation of Smog. There was a lot of racism prevalent in this in this story and i loved it because you know there there were real life issues they weren't skirting over it you know they pretty much like why why would you choose him he's a dwarf Mm -hmm. like i love that about it because they were bringing in real life topics why do i want to live in a fantasy world where everything's okay it's not a utopia yeah things aren't always going to be happy and that's like the one thing Going, you know, kind of going into the whole session zero and all the stuff, screening your players, players screen your DMs as well. Yeah. Because you might have a DM who does not want to deal with issues at all. They might just be like, hey, I'm a DM and I'm going to have you save kitties from trees and help old ladies plant their gardens and deliver the mail and raise some check-ins and that's it. And this is going to be like a t- freaking 20 year campaign. And it's going to be you doing good stuff to help the world. If that's the kind of game you want to be in, whatever. Hold on, let me get my seven-year-old. <laughs> but that's not the world. And I understand people people use this game as an escape. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. But that is my opinion. Take it as a grain of take take it with a grain of salt. As a grain of salt, I don't really know what that phrase is. But it's it's my opinion. I don't like that. And if I had a DM who tried to do that, I would walk away from the table. I would thank them for inviting me to the game and I would leave. But it's just not for you. Because it's not for me and I'm not going to sit down and deal with that. 
You know, it's like the oh. player who's only into combat. He specifically told me, I just want combat. Like, he's not into the story. He doesn't care about it. He's a power gamer. Like, I honestly don't think, like, if he played, like, Dark Souls, I don't think he actually listened to the dialogue. He probably doesn't. He probably just, just, like, presses, like, the skip button. If there's a skip button, he will press the skip button and just plow through everything and then get to the end of the game and then that's it. He buys the game and he's finished in, like, 24 hours and that's it. And then there's the players like me, like, with Horizon... You want to find everything. You everything. want to talk to every yep. single person. And that's great. You're fine with that. I'm fine with that. He's fine with his games. That's cool. But if I were to deal with a DM who was like, this is all kittens and rainbows and you're not having any conflict at all. Excuse me, it's time to go. I'm out. Like, no. thank you for your time. I'm he, out. I think even I... Because I'm one of the, I really believe that, you know, that in economics, they always talk about scarce resources. And ultimately, the most scarce resource anyone has is, is their time. Why would you waste your time on something you do not enjoy? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we all have to work. And <laughs> yeah. nine times out of ten, it's not at a place that we enjoy. True. Um, but I really do believe that, especially in your leisure time, you should do the things you enjoy mm-hmm. and don't, don't don't let yourself get pigeonholed into sticking with either a, a DM, a table, a group of players that you don't like just so you can play the game. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not really 100% enjoying the game and enjoying the experience of the people that you're with, it's it's not, you're not really getting the most out of, the, out of D&D. You're not. And because it, it really, the people that you're playing with and the DM and the story that he's telling, if you are really into it, you should be excited. For, for every session. For every session. And you should be going. Even the sucky sessions. Like, like it's to the, like, like for me, getting, getting sick this week. Mm-hmm. I was so disappointed not being able to go Sunday. Yeah. We I missed mean, our Sunday campaign. And our Friday campaign. Yeah, and it, and it was just I I was not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And even on Friday, you were like, "Are you gonna play?" And me being the person I am, and not liking disappointing people, I was gonna slog through it. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the kind of player that is on the thing, he knew what I was gonna do, and he said, "Well, I'm not showing up anyways." But I know that he wanted to play. Oh, yeah, of course. But, but you also have to consider, he was ill the week prior. Yeah. And we were okay. Like, we didn't say, hey, you have to play. Like, no, he's sick. He's not going to play. You were sick. You're not going to play. And that's another thing. The people at the table, by the end of a campaign, maybe not for everyone, but I know for me, those people usually end up becoming friends. Mm-hmm. And if... You're with people that you could have completely different mindsets about things. You could have ideologies that are on completely different perspectives, philosophically, politically, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. You'll find that you can still become friends with these people. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like uh, my experience overseas. Mm -hmm. You form bonds through those experiences. 
in a combat zone and stuff like that, it's all, it's really strong because it's emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, you know, that, that bond of brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And I think at the table, sometimes that can happen too. Not, you know, in these horrible experiences and getting through them together, but, you know, the experience of playing with these people constantly and getting to know them as a person and their personality and stuff, you can kind of build these friendships at the table that, I mean, we have friendships at the table that extend beyond it, mm-hmm. that literally were established at the table. Um, and I really think that that's, I guess, a important aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. If, oh, definitely. If you have players or DMs that you're just not going to get along with, and you figure that out at the session zero, that's much better than being, you know, 20 sessions in and feeling obligated to stay. Obligated to stay. And I am 100% one of those people that would feel obligated to stay. And you are 100% one of the people who would not feel that obligation. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the great things about playing games with you, or having a game with you is that if I'm not vibing with the table, you're able to say, yeah, I'm just calling it. And if you say I'm calling it, my role is I don't really want to play with your and I at the table anyways. I guess you're my safety blanket. And well, the my other thing is, because we have had the situation before where I wasn't feeling the DM. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were a nice person. You know, I talked to this person, I'll, I'll say at least once or twice a month. Um, But... I don't get along. I don't get along with um with her DM style. And I'm okay with that. You know, she's a nice person. We bonded over DM or D&D. So that's that's great. She's a DM, I'm a DM, you know, whatever. You bonded over DMs. You're DM people on the sly. <laughs> and you know, I wouldn't say we're friends, like friend friends, you know, we're friendly acquaintances, if you will. But I didn't feel comfortable in her game. I I wasn't vibing. I wasn't feeling it. And, you know, I had asked if I could bring you in because, like I said, I enjoy playing in a game where you are. And she was okay with that. And we played a couple sessions and I wasn't feeling it. And I told you and I was like, hey, look, I'm not feeling this. I'm going to peace out. You know, but you are more than welcome to stay because it doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. I don't have an issue with you staying and playing because I want you to enjoy the game as well. I don't want you to feel obligated to stay because of me or leave because of me. You know, on that same, this is like couples therapy with (laughs) with table talk right now. But, (laughs) and then also on the note of, you know, couples should always have their separate hobbies and stuff that Mm -hmm. they do because if you're around someone, 24 7 we might be a strange exception because i could literally be around you 24 7 no problem but most people it's going to be a problem if you're around someone constantly Mm -hmm. that kind of goes into the whole like consent thing if you're not feeling the game you're not feeling the dm you're not feeling the players or even if it's a single player that you're not vibing with walk out because you're you're gonna I wouldn't say ruin it for yourself, but your experience is not going to be as fulfilling. As optimal. Yeah. It's just going to be, okay, I did this. It's like eating food. 
I ate something, but I really wanted pizza. When do you not want pizza? I love pizza. <laughs> okay. Now that you've said that, what, what time is it? I wanted pizza and there was no pizza in the freezer. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just eat mashed potatoes. <laughs> Man, now I'm, now I'm hankering for... It, it's too late at night. It's it. three in the morning. <laughs> no, it is not time for pizza. Even though now I want pizza, we should not have... No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, anyway, so racism, prejudice, uh, violence and gore, murder, torture, all of that, you know, encompasses a dark side of D&D, of D&D. How far is the DM willing to go? How far is the player willing to go? Mm -hmm. And if you're not comfortable with it. Tell the DM, and it's going to be like a pretty much a repeat of everything. Tell the DM if you are not comfortable, because at the end of the day, if you're not happy, you're not going to be, you know, fulfilled in the game. Mm-hmm. And the DM, if you don't tell them, will just continue, you know, doing what they're doing. And what if it's not just you that's uncomfortable? What if it's a collective? And that's another thing, you know, you, you keep saying you just walk away from the table. And part of me is like, it's also important to communicate. Well, by walk away, I don't mean just obviously get up and walk. I'm not being that literal. I'm a literal person. There might be that. there might be people who are as walk literal away. as me. Walk away means <laughs> good, good. obviously talk to the DM. Tell the DM, hey, I'm not feeling this. Because at that point, obviously, you know, they can either tone it down or stop it entirely. You can do a fade to black situation, whatever. But you are aware of the limits. Imagine if they brought Hunger Games out, but every time somebody tried to kill you, it just turned into a paintball to the chest and you were just out of the game. Or somebody goes to shoot you, you know, with a gun and confetti comes out and that's it. You're out of the game. The stakes aren't as high. It's not, it's not that the stakes aren't high. It's that you're taking away from the visceral reality. Of yeah. It. From the reality of the game. But there's some people who can't handle that and that's okay. You know, you as a player would go, Hey, I'm okay with you talking about, you know, people dying. Just saying that somebody died. But I don't want you to get into how they died. Or you can say that, hey, I'm going to interrogate this. And I say interrogate with air quotes. I'm going to interrogate this NPC. But I don't want you to explain how the character is being interrogated. That's kind of a, are you okay with it? Are you not okay with it? Is it a red, yellow, or green situation? Are you okay with explicit detail of torture or no? Like uh, the game Dread. Ooh. Dread is meant to be descriptive. You are supposed to build this scenario in your head. And build a sense of dread. (laughs) And build the dread that comes with it. Imagine if while playing this game, you threw a checklist out at me and said, well, I don't want you to talk about anything scary, anything that's going to pop out. I don't want you to talk about ghosts or werewolves or this and this and this and this and this. And that's literally going to take away the entire point of the game. At that point, you need to tell that player, 
I'm sorry, this is just not the game for It's not the game for them. Exactly. Then at that point, it would be either the DM or the player's prerogative, prerogative to, to tell them, I, I, I can't change it. That's literally the premise of the game. And, and at that point, those people need to be mature adults because, you know, there are kids that play the game. But they, they need, need to just be, be mature, mature people and be willing to walk away in an amicable, uh, amicable way. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a personal attack against you being unable to... This comes again once to that thing that I would always say where, you know, offenses has to be taken. It can't be given. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's not an attack against you. It's not an attack against you. It is, I'm sorry, but I am unable to. Or the game will, could not function if I took these things out. Mm-hmm. Or I would not be able to give the experience to the rest of the players that they came for if I took these things out. Mm-hmm. I do believe that there should that a DM should be able to accommodate most things. Mm-hmm. But if you have too many hard no's or if the hard no's are things that are prevalent in the game. Like if, you're, like if I was playing a game or running a game that was something dark and gritty mm-hmm. like hor like it was it was basically a horrible survival scenario and i was going to be describing things that you have to go through and i wanted to build this sense of dread and terror in the game mm-hmm. if you were not good with those things that session 0 is going to tell you yeah. that hey yeah, I'm sorry. This isn't the game for you. I'm not willing to change these things because the image I have in my mind of the world that they're going to be in and the scenarios they're going to be in will not fit inside the box that you're trying to put me in. Yeah. It's like writing a book. Mm-hmm. If I write a book and then I say, you know, I give it to the uh, the editor and the editor reads it and goes, well, I read it and while I was editing... I just have to tell you, this book is way too scary. There's too much torture and gore and whatnot. You need to fix this because people aren't going to like it. And then you think about it and you go, well, they're probably right. And you change it. I mean, you, you just took away your your selling point. You know, I noticed that a lot of authors will do that, especially once they get picked up. Because, um, you know, I like reading light novels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And those usually start out as web novels. And I find some of them, the web novel version of it is a lot more gritty. It's raw. And raw. And though it's not as polished in the sense that the light novel gets from editing and stuff like that, I find that it is much more real to either A, the story or you know, the world that the person was trying to build than before someone else got their hands on it. Yeah, so kind of going away from that, politics. Super, super touchy. I have moments, remember, where there's there's an evil in me. Mm -hmm. And I have always wanted to screw with people by making, I guess, proxies of political parties inside the game. Mm Mm-hmm. And have them have to deal with the conflicts that these people have 
and then have things that happen in real life affect what the parties Mm -hmm. do inside the game. I've always wanted to do that just to see, especially with people who are die hard one way or the other Mm -hmm. for the certain policies in the game Mm -hmm. or in real life because they're die hard for this certain party. I've always wanted to see if in the game with it actually affecting them, are they still as die hard for the policy or if is it really just they're stuck in their ways because either a, that's how they were raised because a large portion of people were stuck with the party that they're born. I was like that. Yeah, I know. And I, I mean, thanks to RDM, I find out that you are not the party that you believed in. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about our Tuesday DM. Oh. I found out the truth that you weren't. Oh yeah. We don't talk about that. And, and bringing that back around to, you know, at the table, it's because especially in, this is America. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially in America, because of that duopoly system, mm-hmm. politics is extremely divisive at the table. It is. And it can make or break a game. It can make or break a game. I mean, it makes and breaks friendships every day, which I, which I find so sad because if you cannot have a political discourse is what they call it, but mm-hmm. if you cannot have a discussion of and an exchange of ideas, I'm a real big believer in that in that mindset of philosophy. If you cannot exchange ideas, the entire idea of a democracy is dead mm-hmm. because, and you, you need to be able to have that conversation and either a find a middle ground or B find where you just, you can't meet. Mm-hmm. And, it, the inability to have those discussions, I find it kind of sad, but I can also see where bringing it to the table can it, just it, it, it cause can, more problems. Than it can. It, good. That, that's why I try not to bring, I, would, I wouldn't say politics to the table because our Friday session is very like, political heavy. Outside politics. Outside politics. Like, I, I, well, I mean, that's the thing. I would bring an outside situation, a real life situation, and I would mold it to fit into the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't say, like, oh, these are Republicans and these are Democrats. I would just put people in there and I'd be like, hey, this is the Lord of this house and this is the Lord of this house and these are their opposing views. Yeah. And I'll just have a situation where you have this person and this person combating over something. You as a player now have to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to go left, right, or are you going to find a different route? Yeah, some, some something in the middle or I something would, completely different. Yeah, you know, so I bring politics into games, but I do not try to make it so noticeable, you know, to real life. Because then, you know, you're going to have people who are like, oh, I heard about this, you know, what I heard, like, you know, the situation that you put in the game, I heard about this on the news the other day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is my political viewpoint on this and blah, blah, blah. I don't mind having a discussion about it. But it's such a hot topic that one, excuse me, one wrong word. One, one, could blow up the table. It could blow up the table. And that's why, you know, I always tell you guys, if you guys are going to be talking about this, the game starts at 7 Yes. Get, yeah, at 7 get it there, ends. Yeah, get there before 7 o'clock. 
Or stay after. Or stay after. Mm -hmm. And you can talk to your heart's content, but I do not want to hear it at my table. Mm -hmm. that That's the thing. If I'm going to bring politics into a game, then I will find a way to mold it into the game. Because obviously we use a lot of outside elements to implement into the games. So I will do that. But I'm not going to have somebody come in here, you know, waving the flag of one political party and rubbing their victory or their loss in the other person's face. Yeah, that that would I would find that extremely frustrating. Like was it I was uh I was looking through Facebook, I think it was, and somebody was talking about that. Somebody was talking about, you know, how they had uh an issue with another player because they had said, "Hey, I don't want people to talk about politics at the table. This is my one rule. Do not bring politics up. And all the players agreed. And then one player who had a differing view from the entire table agreed. Like, again, this person collectively agreed. The one person who had the differing view was singled out by another player. I rem- I remember reading this and it was it was like they all e- even though the other person agreed not to talk about it and had no problem with it before the game the other people would talk about it in a in a specific way yeah and then it would kind of bleed over into the game yeah and then they would constantly bring stuff up but this one person great player otherwise would not they they, they wouldn't take the bait they wouldn't take the bait and and mm-hmm. it's that troll mentality that kind of has been bred into the the newer generation because mm-hmm. the anonymity of being online has made people a lot braver and mm-hmm. talking which in one end is good but on the other end i was raised with the mentality of you know i, I don't know how Talk, talk, crap, get hit. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out a way to phrase it. It's not like that. But I'm, I was raised with the mentality of if you are going to poke the bull, be ready for the consequences. Mm-hmm. And these, this mentality has been like, has come about because of that anonymity that you find online where people feel invulnerable mm-hmm. and they'll just keep going and going it's kind of like a child Mm -hmm. that they know they can keep pushing their limits Mm -hmm. and they will go until the parent puts their foot down and in the realm of online what's the worst that's going to happen to you Mm -hmm. the worst that's going to happen to you is what a bunch of people get mad at you and you either a delete the account or you never go back to that page again or that comment again okay wow but if you were doing the same thing in person and saying the same things in person, I, I, I try to act online like I would act in real life. Mm-hmm. And I think that people decide that because of that invulnerability, they just, they'll just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And it has bled over into real life, starting to bleed over into real life now mm-hmm. because people are so used to not having consequences to the things they say and the things they do. Yeah, and, that player though, they, you know, the the one who didn't take the bait, 
they were kicked out of the the session. I know they it, were kicked out of the game because you know they they were like, well, we told you not to bring it up, and it's like I didn't. Yeah, but because you don't believe in our you know viewpoints, you're a great person otherwise, but we can't have you at our table. Yeah, and and that that actually I find that that's that whole political discourse kind of thing. It, it's people are so trapped in their own little bubble that anything that could anything that could poke the bubble or pop it or make them have to come outside of their comfort zone, they fight against, mm-hmm. and they'll they have this animosity and this. It, it's human, it, sadly, it seems to be human nature to be xenophobic. Mm-hmm. Where anything that is other or different from you is something that you try your hardest to push away, get rid of in any way that you can. And the sad truth of it is that sometimes the people who speak the most about tolerance are also at the same time the most intolerant at the table. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I fully agree with that. And that, you know, that that's kind of just one of the reasons why politics would be a topic you would want to bring up at the table. Be like, hey, I'm not going to talk about the issues that are happening in the real world, but are you okay with politics in the game? You know, are you okay with the Lord of Elves and the Lord of Dwarves having a conflict with one another because they're trying to figure out how to run a kingdom. You know, are you okay with that? Like, they're they're going to be running this, uh, I don't know, a, an election. And are you okay with, you know, with, with dealing with that kind of stuff? Like, you don't have to be a part of it, but are you okay? Like, if it gets brought up? Or, yeah, or are you okay with, you know, if we talk about, literally like election tampering Mm -hmm. or stuff like that because it's something that pops up in our you know society constantly in the news and stuff like that if you have it in the game some people might get triggered by it be like you know this is crap or you know or some people might latch onto that and use it in the game and be like see if it's possible in the game you know it's possible or not all kinds of stuff can Mm -hmm. happen and sometimes there are things that are such hot button issues even proxies to it or even things that have absolutely nothing to do with it can somehow bring the topic up yeah and there's going to be some players that it's it's just not worth having it at all in the game Mm -hmm. and i think political intrigue games are a lot of fun personally but there are be if if done properly properly um but yeah and you know, then like going into sex and sexual assault and romance. You know, I guess you could say like, how much is too much? Mm-hmm. Um, are you a fade to black kind of person? Are you a detail, extreme detail kind of person? Are you the person that, oh yeah, I want to seduce the uh, the barmaid. Okay, cool. Well, roll for seduction and then you nat 20 or whatever okay well you take her upstairs and you know fade the black 
But then you have the player that's like, no, I want to roll for this and I want to roll for acrobatics and strength that... and I want to roll, you know, for size. <laughs> oh my God. And it's like, I, I don't find that funny. I, I find it funny. The trope I find funny and the stupidity of it I find funny. But also I was thinking of the meme that's been going around where it's like, uh, I would like to seduce the barmaid. And then the person like, okay, I rolled a 20. And then he's like, okay, what are you going to say? I don't know. I rolled a 20. Seduce me. Yeah, and it's no. the DM like, seduce me. Oh my goodness. Because you know there are some players that are like, I want you to describe it. I want you. And then they're going to act like they're all bad. And then as soon as you're like, seduce me. And you're a dude. And they're another dude. There's a, a lot of people have those homophobic tendencies. They're going to be sitting there going, I don't want to do it no more. And yeah. you're like, okay. Well, the problem is solved. <laughs> and it's funny to me. Um, but that's the thing, like that—that's where you and I differ because I'm that evil. I have it, it, evil it has tendencies. nothing to do with being evil. It's just that to me is not interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't care about characters having sex in the game. I'm mm-hmm. not here to 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 live out your sexual fantasies. I and I'm actually of the mindset I don't really care about the sex in the game. I don't mind romance stories in the game. Romance is fine. Man, that is really starting to question myself. I'm very effeminate. But I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, like, romance is fine. I have no problem with it. If two characters, you know, are starting to develop a romantic feeling for one another, I am fine with that. You want to build on it, that's great. If you want to be PDA, oh, well, you know, I'm going to take my turn to smoochy smoochy on my boyfriend and he he he. No, stop. No, we're we're not. We're not seven. You're going. You're going too far. It went from being cute to you. You. You sound like a child trying to write a romance novel. Yeah, it's like just stop. Like this isn't Wattpad. I don't want to hear that. Just look. You have a significant other in the game. That's great. You utilize this to build your character. You know your character who you know was a loner and would only do things for themselves. Has fallen in love. And now this character is willing to sacrifice their own life for their significant other. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. I have no problem with that. But then you have the players who are like, again. I'd like to roll for size. I want to roll for size. I want to roll for acrobatics and strength and this, this, this. And it's like, this isn't fun. An evil part of me would be like, you know what? I I do want you to roll at disadvantage. Just so I can get a... A net one in there and be like, okay, your back's broken. <laughs> just so I'll be like, okay, officially your uh, your character can't be an adventure anymore. Just just to be a butt and be like, I don't want you to do that stuff in my but table. But then the player would feel like that was a, per- a personal attack, which technically it is at that point. Okay. That's but what yeah. I'm saying. Your, your level of humor would not fit with... My level of humor and also sometimes my level of pettiness. Yes. Yes. But that's why, that's why. You must pre-screen your players. Pre-screen your players and pre-screen your DMs because you might have a DM who, you know, like JR. Who likes to mess with you. Who, if you... who wants to, you know, I, I wouldn't say mess with you, but like personally attack your character because you are doing something like that. Oh, personally attack your character. That's, that's so mean. I would, I would never. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like romance is fine. I have no problem with that. If you want to have player A and player B fall in love, like if they're, if your characters interact in a way that 
would develop that relationship. I'm fine with that. I encourage it. Like heck, it could build it could build drama if maybe well, later our, on there's our, a breakup or something. Our Tuesday campaign. We have two characters who have what I mean. We they definitely have feelings for each other in a discussion. Well, <laughs> the characters have confessed to one another their their emotions. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Like it, we've we've all been teasing them pretty much from I guess you could say session one or session two to now. And how many sessions are we in? We've been playing for like four months now. I don't. Like I don't. Know. I'm not sure. But they they were kind of cutesy in the beginning, and it was there were some signs. It, was, it, it wasn't cutesy. It was just more awkward encounters, and mm-hmm. then the two characters just kind of gravitated, and they were always around one another. And they never did anything that would have us believe that there was romance going to happen. But we always teased them about it. And so the players discussed the possibility of, you know, a romance possibly happening between the characters. And they agreed, like, okay, yeah, we'll do this. They're like, yeah, it makes sense. We'll go forward with it. And that's fine because they both agreed to it. (gasps) Consent. Consent. But, you know... It would be different if it was like, okay, cool. I'm going to, you know, have a random NPC show up and force player A to fall in love with, you know, with, with, with the NPC. You never consented to this. Mm-hmm. That also comes down to the DM taking control of your character, which yeah. I totally hate. I, I, I don't agree with that. But, you know... It's like oh I, I don't I don't agree with the DM taking not not your thought I don't agree with the DM taking control of the character, but you know it's like if if the player falls in love that's fine like the Friday campaign, one of the players was I guess you could say forced he was he was forced uh, into a marriage that he was not aware of but that was, this was more of a joke. Because your character was aware of how the Fae are. Yeah. And so me being a DM and his character being completely oblivious to how Fae live and how they are, he did something that he shouldn't have done. And so they were like, hey, cool. It's time for a wedding. And they had just met like two seconds prior. And he was like, what's happening? And then your character was like, no, no, no. Oh, my God. No, no, no. Wait, no, no, no. You you can't make a promise like that to her. That's not good. Yeah. And so, you know, that that was in like in jest and humor and everybody was okay with it. Mm -hmm. But it would be different if it was like, oh, yeah, you know, she takes you upstairs and this happens. And it's like, what? 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 Like, I, I didn't ask for this. I didn't consent to this. Hello. Like, this is my character. You cannot do this to me. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you have sexual scenarios, you have sexual assault scenarios, you might have a situation where, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know, most of the time it doesn't happen to players, but it would happen to NPCs. Oh, like you come across the barbarian that's... That's, you know, violating uh, another NPC. Would you mention it that way? Like, oh, well, you come across, you know, a cage full of women and they're battered and bruised and, you know, they're crying and you see one of the orcs grab her and take her into a tent. You know what's happening. 
it's kind of common sense, but I didn't mention what is happening, but you already pictured in your, in your mind. This is what's happened. This is the possible scenario. You said that like in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking this, I'm like, it's time for a crusade. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It's like you, you, you can bring up a topic without actually going into full detail about it. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of almost the fade to black kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's a, a fade to black. You, you know, know what's going on. You're glossing over the nitty gritty. Yeah. You're, you're keeping it PG 13 instead of switching it to, to R. Yeah. You know, so at that point I mentioned a very simple scenario but you already have knowledge that, okay, yeah, this is a possibility in this world. Mm-hmm. And are you going to react to it? It also depends what type of character you're playing. Yeah, but, you know, at that point, as a player, you're... If I had mentioned to you that there would be a mention of sexual assault and violence and all this other stuff, if it comes up, you shouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Because if you had consented to all of it and it comes up, then it's like, hey, I already consented to this. But. No, let, let me let me kind of go back to that. Scratch what I just said. It's not that you should be okay with it, but you are aware. Being made aware. Yeah. You, are, you are made aware of the possibility of a situation coming up. Whether it's like a, it's you're a, basically okay a trigger warning. Yeah. You're, you, you would mentally prepare yourself, hopefully, for this possible scenario. But that doesn't mean that because I mentioned it today that you are okay with it three or four sessions from now. It could be 20 sessions from now. You might not be, you might not be comfortable with, with me bringing it up. It's kind of like I have my good days and my bad days. Exactly. You know, I can mention, you know, child abuse. And on one day, like one session, you're like, okay, cool. I'm gung ho for saving children today. And you're, you know, you, you play a superhero, but then on another day, you just might be like, I'm, I, I, I can't handle this mentally. And that's okay. You know, whether you tell me before the session, during the session or after the session, it's okay to feel the way you feel. It's okay to change your mind about something mm-hmm. because that's there, kind there of pigeonholing been... you as a player to to feel like you have to to be okay with it. And, and being someone that struggles with you know DID, PTSD, and all that, I understand that on any given day, I am on a spectrum of good of good or bad, mm-hmm. and something could have set me off today that has already put me on edge Mm -hmm. and it would be good to be able to warn a dm that hey today might not be the best day that you know i might have had a really bad day something might have set off you know one of my triggers might have set me off Mm -hmm. and it would be good to warn them ahead of time well that kind of right there i I agree with, you know, the DM or the player kind of giving everybody a heads up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel like you need to go into full detail. If you just tell the DM, hey, today has not been a good day for me, you know, like with my mental health. You should just leave it at that. Yeah. 
You don't have to go, well, you know, something triggered me. And Oh, yeah. No, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if, like... If you feel open to discussing it, that's on you. Usually discussing it makes it worse, though. So, yeah. But, so, but Well, sometimes, sometimes, some people feel that it's therapeutic for them to actually bring out, you know, like to actually talk about the issue because you might not have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. So, you might be using your DM, you know, as that outlet, you know, as that that bounce that the wall to bounce your thoughts off of and that's okay but for the people listening you are in no way required to explain anything to anybody mm-hmm. it, it is nobody's business why you're not feeling hot to trot today yeah if you do not like if you were okay with romance today and tomorrow you don't want to hear about it you could just tell the dm before, during, or after the session, hey, look, I'm really not comfortable with it today. Like, that really makes sense because someone could literally have just gone through like a really bad breakup. Yeah, and then you know, here's some cutesy romance stuff, and they it's don't, like they don't want to, they don't, they probably don't want to see that in the session, mm-hmm. especially if they just went through something like this. And though you hate it, they're probably using this as an escape to relax. It's not that I hate it; it's just I don't, I, I don't feel like that's a good coping mechanism. It's like people who use alcohol and drugs or gambling or whatever. It's just a temporary high. I, I don't agree with it because sometimes people can get lost in, 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 that, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And when the session ends, it can bring about a much more terrible you know, depression for them. I am not a therapist at all. So do not take what I say as you know advice or whatever but it it i've seen it people you know are like hey i'm gonna use D, you know as my escape and i love it because there's this fantasy world and i can live how i want to live and do what i want to do and save who i save and, and then you, you crash back to reality and then the when the session ends you have to drive home to your situation yeah that that 100 percent you know and that, that high from killing that dragon it's going to start going down mm-hmm. and then you're going to hit rock bottom again. And the only thing you have to look forward to is the session. And sometimes that works for people. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's, I don't feel like they're like D and D is that good of a therapy. I think it's a good, your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah. Your, your mileage may vary. I feel like it's, it's a good, um, a good starting point, mm-hmm. I guess, but I just don't feel like people should use D and D as their escape. You know, and also I find that you know, especially my, one of my big problems is impulse control, mm-hmm. and there's a cognitive dissonance that comes with you know making purchasing decisions and stuff. Like, remember, I'm scared of the game shop mm-hmm. <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> Um, because in well, that you're same, you're actually good when you go to the game shop. Be, because I force myself to be. But I. But it's literally, <laughs> it's literally painful sometimes to not buy things, or mm-hmm. because you know, with it's suffering, a gratification. As soon as you buy the endorphins, yes, it's that endorphin it's rush. The and rush. The, and what it is is uh, you get that buyer's remorse. And with D and D, it can be kind of the same thing you are putting off the bad things by getting that endorphin rush now. Mm -hmm. But in the long term, you could have a rebound 
and drop right back into a depression that is either the same or worse than what you had after the session. I could see that argument, but I mean, it's the same thing as kind of like playing video games. Mm-hmm. You're you're there for the experience and the enjoyment of it and in a way the escape. Mm-hmm. And when it's all said and done, you do have to come back to reality and... I mean, there's some people who basically live in video games, so sometimes maybe some people don't come back to reality. I don't know. That's true. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much all I have on like a session zero. Um, I would like to hear what all of you have to think about, you know, session zeros, what you would do for, you know, for, for your players or what you would expect out of your DM. Uh, you can... Uh, email us at tabletalksubmissions at gmail.com. You can send me a message on our Tumblr account, Tabletalk Podcast. That's Tabletalk PDCST. You can DM me at DM Disaster or on our Instagram, which we now made, Tabletalk Podcast, Tabletalk PDCST. We would love to hear, you know, how, how you would handle a situation you know a session zero or consent anything um but yeah so going from that we are now going to be doing our monster of the week so last week we did the gargoyles and we decided to do dire wolves uh this week so with the dire wolves there really wasn't much that I can think of that I would want to add or change to to it. I, I feel, mean, I feel like you kind of went back to your tried and true. Yeah, no, but <laughs> is it undead? No, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, because I was just thinking, you know, a direwolf itself is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like just in and of itself, it's actually good. And then I was going to go the elemental route. And, you know, you made fun of me because I already did the gargoyle elemental. And so you went with undead. So I went with undead because, Mm. well, you also got to think I've been running in our Wednesday campaign, what, like four sessions, I think four or five sessions of you guys in the sewers. So you wanted to spread the idea of the viral zombies. Well, that too. But I was also, you know, my mind's already kind of been like, Focused on the undead. On the undead. Um, you need to play a necromancer. Uh, Althea was a necromancer in our Curse of Strahd campaign. Um, but yeah, so I made a undead direwolf. Um, I made it a AC of 15 with an HP of 85. So that would be a 10d10. Kept the speed the same. Um, I was considering lowering it because it is undead, you know, so they would kind of be shambling around, but I just, I just, I, don't know, I just decided to leave it. I mean, cause depending on the state of decay for the zombie wolf, if you want to call that the undead, I don't feel like it would technically slow it down. And you also got to think being undead is on a sliding scale. You can be... Walking Dead slow, or you can be World War Z fast, which, huh, no, but... And, and you made it a viral kind of thing, so it's not 
it might not even be truly like rotting flesh undead and it's more like controlled no it, it's more rotting flesh oh okay it's just i was thinking more like a parasitic kind of thing like uh like the last of us well like the cordyceps thing got you yeah like that was my thought process like you know they're more infected they are dead and they're at this point where they are rotting like the the ants oh, okay yep um, you know, they are dead. They're rotting. The the fish that has the parasite in his mouth, same thing. It's technically dead, but this parasite is controlling it. You know, I have to go to sleep later, right? <laughs> um, But yeah, so that was kind of the thing. Like, obviously, I didn't go into like a whole detail. I mean, I probably should like go into like a whole lore about it because I think that would actually be great. But anyway, so I upped its strength from a 17 to a 19. Uh, just because the natural things, limiters are gone. Yeah, your your limiters are gone. Uh, it's decks. I did lower the decks just because it's dead. So it's not going to... Did I lower the decks? I don't know. I left that at 13. What is a Dire Wolf's decks? I feel bad because we made these and I... Um, I it, it's, it's too late. I modified it. It is four it. in the morning right now. <laughs> My brain is shot. Um, Wait a second. No, I think you did drop it because I added plus one to all physical abilities and then minus, or, or added a lot more to other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, it's it's dex. I think is normally a fifteen. Okay. So yeah, you dropped it. I know. It. I I think I made like a sixteen and then I lowered it down to a thirteen. Um. But yeah. Uh. It's con is a sixteen. Intelligence is three. Wisdom I did lower it to an eight, and its charisma is seven. I didn't bother lowering the charisma because, I mean... It, it's it's already low. It's already low. Well, not just that. But How like, low can you go? <laughs> it's... Th- this this wolf's not trying to sweet talk you, you know? It's trying to eat you. It's trying to eat you. So it's not charismatic at all. So I'm like, whatever. I'll just leave it as it is. Um, it does have perception and stealth. So that would be a plus one, plus three, respectively. I did give it because it doesn't state like especially in the zombies it doesn't state that they are vulnerable to radiant damage i don't know why it doesn't state that but they're vulnerable to radiant damage they get double damage or however the dm wants to you know do it but still like double damage so i did add you know that onto the sheet itself damage vulnerabilities radiant damage immunities poison condition immunities poisoned um I was thinking of adding necrotic to it, but then I did think about it and I was like, you know, like, um, like damage immunities, necrotic. That would make sense. It's already done. You, you can rot. You can continue to rot. Oh, so yeah. Cause, cause like, yeah, I could, I could see what you're if, saying. If you, cause like, if you did inflict wounds and you did necrotic. the affliction, which that's a pathfinder, uh, spell aggravate affliction. I don't know if they have a 5e version of it. But aggravate affliction, whatever the affliction is, it actually amps it up. Okay. So my thought is, you know, it's dead. Why would I make it immune to rot? Because then that means it can't rot itself. I could I could see that argument. Unless it was like a magical kind of like it was like in a undead stasis or what about, something. What about resistance to it? There's no point because it's already dead. Like mm. It, it doesn't have flowing blood to keep it from, like, to slow down the process. Okay. I could see that. 
Um, I did give it dark vision. That is something that I definitely did give it because it is dead. Uh, I was going to have... What? I was going to say, the dire wolves don't have dark vision from the get-go. Nope. And that actually annoys me. Because the animals in real life, the wolves in real life, can see really, really well in the dark. Mm -hmm. Like, by starlight. And we're talking about... For some reason, the ones in this game can't see. Like, because cause that's one of the other things that annoys me about the mechanics of 5e. It's one of, the, one of the big things. Is that dark is... there? There's like that step where it, it just completely bypasses dim. Mm-hmm. And because at night, you would think it's... It, it, there's like a, a, another stage. There's pitch black and then there's dark. Mm-hmm. And I think that... They should be able to see in the dark. Now, obviously, in a cave with no light, yeah, they can't see. But, um, but yeah, so I did up its challenge rating from a one to a four. Ooh. Um, just because I did add some things to it, like damage-wise, so I feel like it would be more of a challenge. Um, I did keep keen hearing and smell, and. Pack tactics, obviously I kept it. I did add Undead Fortitude, which is something from the zombies. What exactly does that do? Because I always forget. Uh, it's any damage that uh, would reduce it to zero. Uh, they must make a con save with a DC of five plus the damage taken, which is why when we were, uh, when you guys were fighting them on Wednesday, you would keep costly rolling that. And D20. you guys see me making that D twenty roll. Yeah. Okay. That I wouldn't sense. add the plus five because I I was doing that mentally. I was doing that on my side, but I would roll the D twenty. So if it was like two and you guys did fifteen damage, that was a five plus fifteen. There's, there's. So I have to have a twenty. So if I roll a two, like obviously two plus five. Is... That oh, that's why whenever and you said that they were weak to radiant. That's why whenever Mufasa was. When it when, when doing twenty damage on a single strike, you were like, "It's dead." Yeah, like because <laughs> there's no point because that's forty damage. Yeah, that's double damage. It automatically, it that would take it out. Um, but yeah, so I have regurgitation. That is not on the zombies. I added that you know for myself, but that would be a uh, recharge on a five or six, and pretty much uh, it regurgitates acid in a fifteen foot cone. Each creature in that area must make a deck save or take 3d8 acid damage. Um, well, on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. You know, it's really weird because I, I actually see that in a lot of uh, zombie movies and stuff. Especially B-zombie movies. Mm-hmm. Um, where the zombies are like retching up on you and stuff like that. Yeah. But if their bodily functions have I know, stopped it, working, it doesn't. It mechanically it won't work out. But you know, yeah, like, you might get the you might get the one, but you're not getting multiple times. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, no. I, I, that's just something that just comes up to my mind. That I wish there was a way to explain it, just so that it's magic. Oh God, no! <laughs> I know it's a magic game. I know it's a fantasy <laughs> game, but I have such a hard time 
because I'm such a... You're okay with cats with tentacles on their back, but zombies throwing up yeah. bothers you. <laughs> I know, I know. But the cats with the tentacles on their back... Like I, you know they're fantasy. I know it's fantasy, and I know the zombies are fantasy and stuff like that. But we see all these movies that try to explain them away mm-hmm. with some sort of viral infection or a fungal infection or something like that. And they try to explain it away, and then they give them abilities and stuff that make no sense for what they yeah. did. Um, but no, so with the action, I I only altered the bite. I didn't add anything else to it. Um, because in my zombie version, I added a viral bite. Zombies infect people, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's their thing. Um, so pretty much the parasite in their brain, it only has one purpose, and that's to pass on the infection. So... The viral bite as a um, plus five to hit, five feet reach, obviously one target. It does 4d6 plus four piercing damage and 2d8 necrotic damage. Um, If the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 16 strength save or be knocked prone. The creature must roll a DC 16 con save or become infected. If the creature is successful in their save, they are immune to the undead viral bite. For forever? Or for 24 hours or what? Uh, I'm, that That's more up to the DM's discretion at that point. I mean, it could be just that one specific one. Or it could be, you know, the pack, like the strain of it. My thought process is you're pretty much just immune to it forever. Because it's a virus. It's a virus. Um, and... If you fail the save, uh, you have to make a wisdom save or attack your nearest ally because... Is the wisdom save still the same level? Yes. Um, I was thinking about upping it. Again, the DM can change it however they feel. But, you know, you're infected and your mind's shutting down. You know, you're you're starting to die. Your body is dying. It's shutting down. So literally in six seconds, it's like World War Z. Yes, it's like World War it's, Z. It's you that get quick. bit and that's it. Wow. Okay. So that that's why you know, I'm just thinking, I was like, I want this to be a terrifying creature. Not in the attack damage. But, but on what could happen what to you. What could happen to you. I want you to be afraid to be near these things. Not because it can hurt you. But because you, it can bite you, a bite, a scratch, like literally like quoting Resident Evil, you know, one scratch. Now, you count this as a, as a, uh, it's a disease, correct? Yes, I would, that, that was the one thing I didn't add on to here, which I was going to, um, greater restoration can cure it. Greater restoration. A greater restoration. Because I want this to be like... A really, really bad... So so what about how do... Uh, like a so lay on hands or something? Lay on hands, but also the paladin has immunity from poison and disease mm-hmm. at... I can't remember the level anymore. Four, five, six, somewhere in there. But they, they become immune to diseases and poisons. Mm-hmm. Would that negate that for that one player? Probably, yeah. Because you would count it as a disease. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I think lesser, rest- lesser Restoration, which is a level two or three spell, also 
I think gets rid of one affliction, like a disease, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, like I'm thinking, you know, th- this is an infection, it will rot you away. Um, once once you're struck with it and you attack the other person, you fail the wisdom save, what, what happens after that? How does it continue to play uh, out? You, let's see, that, that's the thing. I My thought process is like, you're already infected, that's it. Oh, okay. So unless like unless it, they cure you right then and there, you, you've basically instantly become an enemy. Yeah. Ooh, that's I, what I said. Like you. I'm not even sure that's a CR four. That sounds horrible to fight. Well, you also got to consider what level are you? Probably level four or five. <laughs> but you could be a level two adventurer who you know has big cinnamon buns and it was like, hey, I'm gonna take this monster out and runs you know sword out game over game over or you can have a level 15 who gets bit by this fails to save and then he goes uh lay on hands or if he's not a paladin yeah or something else the paladin's obviously not going to be affected by this but if you have a bard or just another ranger or something you're gonna have to have one of your friends help you if you don't have a paladin or somebody who has greater restoration that can cure you. You know what? That also, that's another thing. Party composition. You know, that, that is, that would make party composition extremely vital. <laughs> because if you're running Nobody around. Nobody likes as, to play support. No one likes to play support. I love playing support. But, but, uh, yeah, I, I know from our, our battlefield days, I remember some of you playing support. Anyway, um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I think that's that's pretty good. What else is there? Anything else? No, that me? that's literally. It. I didn't want to make it too scary. Too scary. I wanted it to be a challenge, but not something that's you know gonna like outright kill you. Like okay, case in point, um, our Wednesday campaign. You guys went up against these things, right? And they're terrifying. You guys. These have an AC of 8. Just the basic zombies. They have an AC of 8 and like 22 HP. It doesn't matter when there's hundreds of them. That's the thing. They would come together. And obviously wolves already are in packs. So if one of them gets infected. All of them will All be. of them are going to get infected because they're all nearby. They're all going to attack the enemy because this wolf is attacking them. They're going to fight back. They're going to bite it. And they're going to get infected. They're going to get infected. Yeah. That's almost like the broodmother thing all over again. Yeah. So they're all going to be infected. They're all going to travel as a pack. They're not going to separate. And now if they come across any other packs, they're more vicious. So yeah, you end up with even a larger pack Mm -hmm. than normal of these zombie direwolf things. And then they can probably infect regular people. And so now you have... To worry about towns becoming this is a problem that if you don't solve just like the brood mother the it's, brood it's, mother problem. it's a it's a pressure it's a pressure yeah the, the, it's one you, of those like it's not it's not a danger now. just itself but if you leave it alone it is a danger later and it's going to get worse and worse and worse and it, and it puts that time crunch of okay we should probably solve this you know I, i've really wanted to play a game where you're in like uh kind of like an acquisitions incorporated or a what? I don't know what that is. Huh? I don't know what that is. You make me so sad. I don't. I, I don't listen to the podcast. I don't watch any streams or nothing. I don't. 
I, wow. I don't do that. Um, but no, they, uh, it's kind of like, you know, they have their adventures and stuff and it's like a, a group doing basically, you know, like all other D and D groups, but I'm trying to think of a way to explain it. Like having an adventure and there's like an adventurer's guild and there's quests and stuff and have the quests have timelines that as a DM, you know, that okay, well, they decided not to take care of... They decided to do this other quest first. Mm-hmm. And running concurrent to them... You have a whole board and you have the high-priority quests and then lower-priority, and everybody chooses the lower-priority. Because they're easier, and they're like, oh, we'll get some experience now, but the ones that they could have accomplished then that were medium-priority are now high-priority mm-hmm. because they put it off, and now it's gotten worse. I, I love the idea that time flows mm-hmm. and showing that time flows in the game i thought that would be pretty cool um well i do that in my campaigns all the time so i don't know what you're talking about no i'm saying do it, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying doing it doing it in my own campaign oh when's so, that gonna happen <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I have, i'm trying to attain my bachelor's degree at the moment and uh but yeah uh, how about yeah we'll, we'll go we'll go over to mine mm-hmm. um I kind of went with a king of their domain kind of monster. So your brood mother and your greater displacer beast. I guess kind of. That's your stick. It is my stick, but uh, <laughs> but but it's it's a little different. It's a little different. The idea that I'm having here is not something that you know can infect other people or um, is just like the the strongest version of what it could be. This is something that is almost, that itself is kind of magical. It actually has magical abilities. That itself, it, it's, it's magical. Or it's almost a force of nature in itself. So it's literally, I just put king of the forest, just to put something simple. Could be queen of the forest, I don't know. But um, it's basically just a regular direwolf, um, except that I did raise the armor class. It's a 16. Hit points are 127, which is uh, 15d10 plus 45, and speed still 50 feet. Um, but I raised its physical abilities by one point each, so we're just kind of showing it maturing along. It's it's like at the apex of what this wolf could be, and so it's got an 18 strength, a 16 dex, a 16 con. Now its intelligence. I push it to a six because I'm not thinking that this thing is like smart in the sense of knowledge itself, like being able to do complicated mathematics and stuff like this. But I did have its wisdom as a 16 because I'm thinking it's lived so long in the forest. It knows everything about it. It knows this area. It knows how the basics of how the world works that it could understand. Like it, it knows that sun, like, like sunset will follow sunrise. It knows, it knows things like this innately through, be, through experience. Through experience, charisma. I, I think I pushed it to an eight. It's not anything crazy. I did give it um, proficiency with two saving throws, which was con and wisdom. So they're both uh, plus six. And I gave it skills with insight, intimidation, nature, perception, and stealth. Because I'm thinking this is something that the players will actually be able to interact with 
Um, I said it is neutral. It's your mileage may vary as a DM. It's not neutral. It's unaligned. But the idea is that it might be something that the players might have to either a come across mm-hmm. and interact with, or b they might have a search quest that they have to find it, mm-hmm. or maybe they find out that the the village that has contracted them has been encroaching on its territory, and so they have to come up with a solution, and they might have to talk with it. Um, I didn't give it any languages, but I was because I was hoping there would be like a druid or someone else that could have to speak with animals or something mm-hmm. in the party. But it's up to the DM; they can put what they want. Challenge rating did end up being a seven because I did give it some pretty good abilities. So it kept pack tactics. Um, then I gave it uncanny senses, which is a little bit of a mix up on the keen senses. Mm-hmm. So. I gave it, uh, it has the advantage on perception and insight checks, but I also gave it, um, since I also gave it dark vision for 60 feet, I also give it blind sight for 15 feet. So in other words, if it can smell you, kind of like the uh, displacer beast I did, mm-hmm. if it, it, it can kind of sense you through changes in air current and smell and stuff like that. And also, obviously, it's hearing. But the idea was that it can smell a lie kind of it can hear the changes in your heartbeat this is like apex predator and um if you are within the range of its blind sight you have disadvantage on deception checks and dexterity stealth checks um i gave it innate spell casting uh its innate spell casting ability was wisdom so spell saves for our DC 14 with a plus six to hit with spell attacks. And it can innately cast certain spells at will was Thaumaturgy, Mold Earth, Druid Craft, and Primal Savagery. And it's just for like a natural magic it gained over time. Because this thing's not supposed to be like the regular age of a, of a direwolf. Something has happened, I would think, that made this thing basically kind of an awakened beast Mm -hmm. um three times a day for each of these it could use cause fear earth tremor hunter's mark or fog cloud the reason i picked those is it's kind of like it's still a hunter Mm -hmm. and it's still an animal so earth tremor is maybe the most outlandish thing that i picked out of all these fog clouds more like it's masking its presence hunter's mark is it's I mean, it's hunting people. Mm -hmm. Um, And it causing fear is just something that it just has the ability to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once a day, it can pass silence or cast silence, pass without trace, and hold person. The hold person is like a paralyzed with fear on like a specific creature. Um, Pass without trace, I would think, would help it and its pack be stealthy. And silence this one I chose kind of on the aspect of so silent you can hear a pin drop whenever like there's something, a predator around you and all the other animals in the area know that it gets dead quiet. Um, like when you're out hunting and there's a, a bobcat nearby and the other animals know they get quiet. 
or if there's any other animal like that, like that's a, a predator, the other animals will get really quiet, um, especially birds and stuff. Um, but the idea was having silence makes it that much more dangerous against your players that are spellcasters and might be murder hobos. This might kind of force them off that murder hobo track because they might think, we got this. And then it casts silence as its first spell, its first action. And now you are fighting basically without magic. You have, because if it has a verbal component, that's gone now. Mm-hmm. And this thing doesn't, this thing and its pack do not need magic to fight. It, if you notice, most of the things that it has aren't attacks, they're buffs and things like that. Uh, the last ability I gave it was emboldening nature. Uh, while the wolf isn't incapacitated, any allied creature within 30 feet gains a plus one morale bonus on all attack rolls, saving throws, and their armor class. So basically all the wolves that are underneath it in its pack are kind of emboldened mm-hmm. by just being near it. Um, uh, though, on the other end of it, to kind of make sure that... The players probably wouldn't know this, but until this thing dies... It's going to be a problem and because it gives that plus one bonus. But once it does die, all the allies that were receiving that boost instead take a negative one morale penalty on all attack rolls, saving throws, and their armor class for the next hour. So in other words, if you're in the fight and you take this thing out first, all those wolves that might, that I, I would obviously think that this thing wouldn't be traveling alone, but... All those wolves that are like its court, because remember, king of the forest, but the pack are now weaker because they they have that morale penalty. Mm -hmm. Um, For actions, I did give it multi-attack. So if it does take the attack action, instead of using one of its uh, spells, uh, it's just a regular bite, but it is a plus seven to hit instead of a plus four or five, I can't remember what it was. And it does do 3d6 plus four piercing damage. Um, and if the target, uh, if the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 15 strength saving throw or be knocked prone. So I just up the thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I also gave it a reaction because I noticed that a lot of beast type monsters don't have anything for their reaction. Um, and the reaction is called Vicious Tear. Once per turn, when the wolf hits with one of its bite attacks and the creature it hits fails its strength save, the wolf can use its reaction to inflict a grievous injury. The wolf shakes its head and tears into the creature, dealing an extra 1d6 um, piercing damage and forcing the creature to make a DC 15 constitution saving throw. On a fail, the creature begins to bleed out and takes 1d4 points of bleed damage at the start of their turns. The bleed damage can be stopped only with magical healing or a successful DC 15 medicine check by the creature or an ally. But as we know, medicine checks and stuff like that, or them using a spell to magically heal, 
most of the time takes up their action or their bonus action because I think um, heal, they could cast Healing Word, healing word is, is a bonus, bonus action. action. They and, and they could heal themselves that way. But the idea is that this is like a, a deep wound that hit like a, a major artery or something. Like it grabbed hold of your arm or your leg or something like that. And I, I was just giving it that so that in that way it makes... Number one, if you're further away from this thing, it's kind of dangerous. If you're at mid-range, it's kind of dangerous. But if you get up close to it, it's really dangerous. So, because that's where you would think an animal would specialize, would be, you know, fighting with tooth and nail, or, or so tooth and claw. You're saying be medium, hard, and then deadly. Yes. That, the idea would be that, number one, you would try to, this thing... As I said, it does have a six intelligent. Grog has a six intelligence. You could still reason with Grog. I mean, not well, but you could reason with him. And I am of the mindset that this would probably be something that you wouldn't really be trying to fight so much as work around if you could. But if your players either had to fight it or if they chose to fight it, it's going to be enough of a challenge that, especially with a, a CR um, challenge rating seven and the, the amount of damage and stuff it puts out, I'm thinking that it would make the players hesitate enough that they might try to think of something else besides just hitting the thing and pushing through it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's that's everything for me. Well, it actually sounds very difficult. Like, <laughs> I'm just like just like coming up with scenarios in my head, and I'm like, wow. It wouldn't be fun to fight. It, it, would, it, it's, it really it's, wouldn't be. It's not. It's not actually at a at, with me putting it at a challenge rating seven. It's probably technically more of an eight, but I put it at a challenge rating seven because it you put it at that point because of its unaligned nature. Unless it's hungry and you're there, and it's just an opportunity to eat something, it's not going out of its way to eat you. It's not. It's it not understands. There. Yeah, it's, it's there for the easy target anyway. And it understands that if it attacks, it's smart enough, it's wise enough, it understands that if it attacks a person, that could probably just bring more people. Yeah. And it could be a problem. But if you corner this thing, it is going to be a nightmare to fight, especially if you're a party of casters. Because mm -hmm. you're going to think, I got this, and then learn the hard way, I don't got this. Yeah. Oh, that's actually very interesting. I like that. Um, but yeah, so that's all we have for uh, today. Um, next week, we will be working on a submitted uh, request. Uh, it is a Woodwode. No clue. Neither. I have no idea what it is, but we're going to look it up and we will try and uh, work our way around it, figure out what Is it what the frog do. thing? I have no idea. Um, but yeah, so one of our listeners has submitted a Woodwode for us to work on. Uh, so that will be our Monster of the Week for next week. Um, any other suggestions would be great. Uh, monsters, items, whatever you have in mind, email us at tabletalksubmissions at gmail.com or you can send it to our uh, Instagram or our Tumblr, 
We were t uh, taking suggestions from pretty much anybody. And uh, what else? What else is there? It is five in the morning and my brain is shutting down. <laughs> <laughs> is it really five in the morning? I don't know. It's 4.32. Oh my God. My brain's shutting down. Um, but yeah, so thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.